This is Chris. And this is Chris. And we's talking wees to thee. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Wee's Talking Wee's to Thee. I'm your host, Chris. As am I. And we are very, very fortunate today to be joined by a good friend, fellow Weezer fan, fellow musician. Oh, yeah. Mr. Steve Johnson. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. Always nice to have a, a fresh voice on the pod. Oh, most definitely. So Steve is one of my oldest friends, and we really uh, learned to play music together almost 22 years ago, I think we met True in high statement. school, on the bus. On the bus? <laughs> and we, we started making music on the bus, but really beyond our personal relationship, Steve is one of the great musicians I know, and specifically, he is a wonderful bass player. So Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell the people about yourself. Uh, actually, Chris and Steve, who are two of my best friends, actually just met here for the very first time. First time. And I feel really close to you already. And I felt like I knew you already, because I've listened to the podcast. Well, you knew my voice, at the very yeah. least. Well, <laughs> so Steve, tell us about your relationship with the band Weezer. Okay, so the band Weezer, I remember you know, probably watching the Buddy Holly video on the old MTV back in 1994. When they played and music videos, beautiful. Went, yes, they were uh, actively playing them. They had a whole rotation. It was beautiful. Uh, I remember I didn't really like Weezer. I, uh, I was really into heavy metal at the time. Yeah, Steve and, is wearing a Megadeth beanie as we speak. Yes. You know, old habits die hard. So I remember watching this video thinking like, yeah, this is okay. And then kind of slowly then, you know, like, all right, kept hearing them more and more. You know, we, we talked about uh, the, the infamous performance at the 1996 Varsity Review of Coventry High School featuring the local band Hitler Stole My Potato. Real thing, people, a band playing a high school talent show basically called Hitler Stole My Potato with some of our dear friends. We will actually be having them on the podcast uh, before long because they are uh, avid listeners, uh, Matt Ferrara and Chris Chilton and uh, the those guys have some great Weezer stories. They're a little older than we are, so they were totally on board with Weezer and saw them very early in their careers. Um, actually, it was our friend Chris Chilton who told the band Weezer when he bumped into them at Rocky Point Amusement Park in 1994 that he saw their video on MTV, and they were like, our video's on MTV? They had no idea it had been played yet. Wow. True story. They were in line at the Free Fall. Do you remember the Free Fall, Steve? Oh, of course I remember the Free Fall. <laughs> of course. That's pretty <laughs> incredible. On. Yeah, so Rocky I, Point is closed now. It is. I, oh, it's, it's never been open for my life. Oh, it Whoa. closed probably in 1997. Yeah, something like that. That might be right. It might be later though. Yeah, maybe I just stopped going. Something. Yeah, I, I wasn't just stopped a going. Kid in anymore. <laughs> It's a small bouldering destination now. It is, actually. It's now a rock climbing destination, which is kind of crazy. It, it, so there's this funky old amusement park on the water in Warwick, Rhode Island that is now completely defunct but made a park and is actually a rock climbing destination for boulderers, which yeah. is a rope-less climbing, for those of you who do not know. Yeah, you ignorant idiots. And I've actually played two concerts at Rocky Point in, no. in the field at a food truck fest. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Very Steve cool. is um, a music teacher in a local elementary yes. school, but also gigs more than anyone I know. He is really one of the go-to uh, bassists in jazz, in rock, in funk, and we play in actually a Christian rock band together with our dear friend Ryan Tremblay. We play in our original band All's Well together. So just a guy out playing more, even more than I am, and I consider myself a professional musician. This guy puts me to shame. Oh, no, not even close, but, you know, we, we make the rounds. We make the, make the rounds on the circuit. No doubt about that. So back to Weezer, you know, the Hitler Stole My Potato, uh, they played Sweater Song 
at the Varsity Review, and I remember thinking, like, wow, that was really awesome, and that was a cool song, and that was a good performance. And in, I think my Weezer tide slowly started to turn, and then uh, we had our landmark cover performance of the entire album of Pinkerton, which was... Uh, acoustic, mind you. Acoustic, acoustic Pinkerton. And I remember really digging into that record and being like, whoa, this band is not just that that pop rock band. This, yeah. they, there's some substance here. And then I really liked the Green album, and then I'm going to be honest, I totally fell off the face of Weezer Earth for a long time. And... Your podcast is partially responsible for getting me back into the baby. Well, so thank you, fellas, because like you know that. I started listening. I'm like, oh, that's a cool song, and I've been listening, uh, you know, to the White Album and some other albums, kind of on my own, and really, really enjoying it. Thanks to you guys. Oh, oh Stevie, well, we thanks are, to you. We're flattered. Yeah, so that's awesome, and I think this is a great record for you to talk about with us, Steve. Before we get started, do you have any favorite Weezer songs or any cool Weezer stories? I mean, you just told us some stories, but. I think my anything off Pinkerton has a has a soft spot in my heart. You know, El Scorcho, of course, just because it's that classic nostalgic sing along song, as you guys mentioned on your live episode last week. Uh, you we got a real fan in the house, people. Hey, man, I'm a fan. I I've heard them all. <laughs> See, I don't I don't joke when I say fans instead you of listeners. It. That's right. But uh, yeah, and anything off Pinkerton, really. Uh, you know, across the sea, of course. Um, of course. Which is, which is a classic song. Do you remember, Steve, the one song? So uh, we should also say, so we were in a comedy folk duo. I played acoustic guitar. He played bass, often upright bass. And we were called Steve and Chris's Nude Dancer Explosion. And this was years before Tenacious D. And we sang some rude and crude songs. We had a whole musical about the rise and fall of a young nude dancer named Maria Nipples. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> True story. And her adversary. This Al is digging Pimp. deep into the annals of your guys' history. I know. Yeah, Chris doesn't know this about me, but this is like when we were in our in our teens, and we were grew obsessed with Fish, and we loved the thought that they covered entire records by a band. So we were playing a gig, and uh, we had a secret complete album that we intended to play, and it was Pinkerton, and the one song we could not learn in time for the show. Do you remember? Was it Across the Sea? No, no. We I know that. we played it. <sighs> I don't remember. It was falling for you. Oh. Because it was just too much. It just did That's too right. much musically. We couldn't kind of wrap our heads around it. I mean, we were pretty young. We were like 16, 17. Like, and uh, ultimately, though, years later, we did perform it live at our friend Andy Hopkins' graduation party. Wow. Because we were like, we never finished the record. And so we, uh, we whipped it out there to finally complete the circle. Classic. Classic. Classic Pinkerton. And, uh, and I, I think of this album came out in the 90s, perhaps this would have been one that we would have been interested in playing some songs from too. So what do you say? You want to get into the record? Oh, let's dive right in. All right. All right. So Maladroit released May 14th, 2002, one day shy of one year after the release of Green, which was the shortest time between album releases for Weezer to date, which was later beaten by the release of Hurley, which was 10 months after Ratitude. However, Got all that, people? Yeah. <laughs> it is the first Weezer record to feature more than 10 songs, yet it still clocks in at 33 minutes and 43 seconds, which is a full seven minutes shorter than the Blue Album. So if we want to do a little quick arithmetic, that gives us an average song time of two minutes and 36 seconds, people. That's really, really short for, for 13 pop songs to be less than three minutes apiece. In fact, there are only two songs on the entire record that eclipse the three-minute mark. Um, the album was self-produced, or, quote, unproduced, as Rivers would proclaim, much like Pinkerton. Although engineers Chad Bamford and Rod Cervera are credited on nice many of the songs. Nice pronunciation. Muchas gracias. 
Yeah, this album was written during the time following the Green album, in which Rivers really wanted to make a statement with the band. He stated in a magazine interview that, quote, I want to conquer far and wide in the name of Weezer. Determined to make Weezer the greatest band in the world, Rivers took complete control of the band. He wrote and composed every song, wrote the lyrics to every song, recorded everything, and produced the record by himself. He even took over management duties for the band at this time. He didn't want any influence by record labels, executives, anything. And as the Green Album tour wore on, the songs that Rivers was writing continued to get harder and heavier in feel. Absolutely. So it is important to note that this is an album of firsts for the band. It is the first Weezer record to eclipse 10 songs, which is a pretty big deal. Check. It is the first album to have an actual lyric booklet in it. For uh, what reason? No good reason. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the lyrics on this record, you know, Are whatever. I, I, I won't spoil it. But uh, uh, and, and third, like, third and most importantly, people, this is the first album in which we see our boy, Scott Schreiner, shrining bright in his debut appearance. Yeah, let's take a moment, actually, to talk about... The strongman who shrines so bright. So firstly, he's a native of Toledo, Ohio, where he performed in many different bands. But I particularly like the band names Loved by Millions and The Great Barbecue Gods. That's amazing. That's like a great local band name, right? It's also worth noting, I had no idea, but it kind of makes sense. He is a former Marine. Wow. Any idea how long he served? No idea. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he was honorably or dishonorably discharged or if he just served his time, but uh, he was a Marine. Well, in any case, he moved to L.A. and he attended the Musicians Institute before he joined several other different bands. Most notably, he toured with Vanilla Ice's band following the release of V.I.'s 98 new metal album, Hard to Swallow. Uh, That was a classic. Yeah, Yeah, that was a classic, man. (laughs) That was an absolute classic of the genre. Well... Just three years later, the man joined Weezer on a provisional basis after the sudden breakdown and departure of Mikey Welsh, who we will get more into on the Green Album episode. And while the band told him that they intended on auditioning 20 other bassists, Schreiner said, and I quote, Basically, I played my ass off to the point where they didn't want to audition anyone else. I was not going to lose that gig, and it just got better and better from there. And so, he's remained the bassist and occasional lead singer, King of Weezer. (laughs) His first gig with the band was the 2001 K-Rock Inland Invasion show, and he has said that his most embarrassing moment in his early days with Weezer was during his first performance of Holiday, when he messed up his vocal part in the bridge and River started laughing and, quote, got him all messed up. And oddly, that performance can be heard on an officially released Japanese live EP called The Lion and the Witch, or, of course, right here, right now. So on a personal note, Schreiner is married to the lovely Jillian Lauren, the author and speaker who fascinatingly was a former call girl and member of the harem of Prince Jeffrey Bolkai of Brunei. Perfect. In Hawaii, which she wrote about in her 2010 memoir, Some Girls, quote, My Life in a Harem. Anyway, the two married in 2005 and have two adopted children and some number of dogs. Living the dream, Shriner. And lastly, on a musical nerd kind of note, uh, Shriner has listed some of his favorite bass players as Mr. JPJ, John Paul Jones, John Entwistle, Bootsy Collins, Larry Graham, and Stanley Clark. 
Some of my favorite bases. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Pretty cool list right there. You know, you got your classic rock guys, your funk guys, your jazz guys, and your kind of R&B guys. And you kind of hear a little bit of all of that in his style, I think. And I'm so excited to have Steve here to break down some of the bass playing as we get into the individual songs. That's, oh, yeah. That's perfect. I'm, I'm so excited about that. Um, initial recording sessions were held in October and November of 2001, but the results of those have never been released for no evident nor particular reason. The band reconvened in the studio in the middle of December to revisit the previous songs recorded, and before long, a proper record was developing. So it's very important to note that this period was particularly prolific for Rivers, as he was interested in getting the input from his fans. To this end, he set up a message board through which he could communicate with the fans directly under the pseudonym Ace, paying homage to Ace Freely of his favorite rock group, Kiss, who he got in his garage. Oh, he got. As we all know. He got. Uh, The band actively shared results of their studio work with fans on the board and absorbed critiques and advice from the fan community, often revisiting songs with new lyrics, structures, solos, etc. based on their suggestions. This process ultimately proved frustrating for Rivers, and he actually wrote the song Space Rock, which we'll discuss a little bit later, as a response to the exercise. He also said in a 2002 interview, quote, The ridiculous thing is that they're so angry with me, and they hate my songs so much, and yet they're all still there on the message boards talking about me every day, and they care so much about it. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe they see some potential in us, and they're doing everything they can to help bring that out. And I'm happy to say that we actually have all of these work-in-progress recordings, 156 in all, and we will be incorporating them into some of our song discussions to illustrate how the tunes developed over time. And there are a ton of songs from this period that actually did not make the album. These include Sandwiches Time, Seafaring Jam, Serendipity, Saturday Night, Spend Some Time, And that's just talking about the S's. Um, There's a million other songs too, but I think probably what we'll do, Chris, is a proper episode just on that material sometime, because that's basically two Weezer records worth of material right there. Seriously, yeah. Maladroit Seconds. Maladroit the Second, Maladroit the Third. Maladroit 2, Tokyo Drift? No, it would be Maladroit 4, Tokyo Drift. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. Tokyo Drifting! That's a reference to another fantastic podcast, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, Off Book. Oh, that is their debut episode where they have the guest Paul F. Tompkins. Oh, beautiful. And it's fantastic. They're Tokyo drifting all over the place. (laughs) That's awesome. Regardless of Rivers' ultimate feelings in the wake of this exercise, the fans played a significant role in the creation of the music. And even the album's name, Maladroit, which means bungling or clumsy, was itself a fan suggestion. The cover art was rated one of the, quote, worst record covers of all time, end quote, by our friends over at Pitchfork Magazine in 2005. And you know how we were talking about Jillian Lauren? Oh, do I ever. So if I'm not mistaken, we said that she was a call girl, right? Oh, yeah. And by definition, that would be a gigolo. Uh Uh-huh. And she is of American descent, no? Oh, yeah. Which would make her an American gigolo. Off with a bang. Yeah, literally. Yeah. 
uh, on the drums and from the gigolo. Exactly. Gigolos be banging. I get it. <laughs> okay, just making sure. I got a blank stare back at me. Okay, so what do we think of this song? It's okay. Just okay? Yeah, I, I actually don't love this song. I think it serves the role of opener pretty well, but like it would be in my probably bottom third of songs on this record, but I do think it's cool. I, I agree. I think it's a cool song. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's super, super cool. Top half, bottom half, I think it'd be right in the middle. Uh-huh. Honestly, I don't dislike it. I don't think it's super, super interesting, but I agree with you that it does get the album off with a really nice bang. Um, I do really like that intro. Pat, pat on those drums. Oh, yeah. And whatever that ching is, I'm not sure what that is. I guess it's just like a palm-muted, yeah, distorted so. guitar. Um, but all the sound effects, and I think the effect of it get get the album really going. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's my raddest riff right off the bat. Is, is that intro? The drums, yeah. Throughout nice. the song. And we got to say, and I'm sure you guys would agree, this is really one of the best Pat Wilson records ever. Oh, There's so many times that we're going to talk about how fantastic his drumming is, whether it's just his his feel, his intonation, his, his little hiccups, the the improv that he can do on those on those bits. I, I'm so, so excited to talk about that. Yeah. You always know a good drum album when the first thing you hear on the record is just these drums kicking in saying, here I am, get ready. Definitely. And this is probably to date. Now, I know there's intensity on Pinkerton, but this is the like heaviest song we've ever heard from them, right? We put this record on and we hear this for the first time and it's like, whoa, this mm-hmm. is a new sound. Absolutely. Immediately. And I think that like first songs on records should do that. And they often do. It's almost like a statement of purpose. Here's where we're at. Yeah, it completely and 100% accurately describes the entire feel of this record. Every other song sounds exactly like this in terms of guitar tone, that heavy, punchy bass, that really, really bass-forward drums. All of, all of this record sounds like this, and so they, they definitely set the stage. So Steve said earlier that this was not an album he got at the time. Uh, he only really got into it more recently. Chris, when did you first listen to this album? I know you had a weird path to Weezer, as we've discussed. Yeah, so funny enough, this album was the second Weezer record that I got into, kind of like wow. dove into. Yep, so I went directly from Blue, listened to Blue on repeat nonstop for an entire summer, and then I went to you, Chris. I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I was saying, hey, man, I'm just really getting into Weezer right now. I'm super digging it. Uh, what would be the next album that you recommend? And you thought about it. It's like, well, have you listened to Pinkerton? I was like, well, I tried it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, well, maybe Green. And then I remember you said, maybe you should listen to Green. Wait fuck green listen to maladroit yeah and i said okay sounds good and then i put maladroit on and i was like ah kind of it's i mean it is so different than blue but i at the time i was enjoying it more than pinkerton in hindsight you know we'll talk about that record when we get to it but yeah this was the second album that i did a deep dive quote cool i didn't realize that i do i do remember that conversation and it does make sense that i would say that at the time um i regret not saying white but was that even out? It yet? was no. It was before White came out. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that makes sense, right? <laughs> um, because a couple of weeks later, you're like, dude, I just heard the song Exploder about so- Summer Like oh, Drunk yeah. Dory, and then I was like, okay, um, great. But uh, so we've always been talking wheeze to each other. We've been talking wheeze to us for before a while. we ever talked wheeze to thee. We were talking wheeze to we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> meaning while we were peeing at urinals. Um, so this album for me, I got the day it came out. I was very excited. And I remember still the other two records I bought alongside Maladroit. Because you usually never buy one record at a time. Right. Typically, you're buying them in groups. And I'm one of those freaks who just, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like this. If you're listening to a music podcast made by music nerds, you're probably 
a music nerd, right? I always remember the groupings of records that I bought at a given time. So, spring 2002, I bought a reissue and I bought a legacy band that came out with a new record that same day. Any idea? I want you guys to guess. I love the, the game of Chrissy and now Stevie. Guess this. <laughs> Any thoughts on what I bought that day? So a legacy? Yeah. A kind of a classic rock band that released a new record that day, their first in a very long time. 2002? Yes. Jeez. Uh, it's I a would, band that we all like. It's I, a classic rock band. Yeah. I would. I mean, it, yes, they're a classic rock band. I don't want to be too specific. I, I would guess Rush? Yes. All right. Do you remember what album came out in 2002? No one cares about it. I haven't listened to it since that day. Oh, give me the first letter. V. Oh, it's right there. Oh. Vanilla Ice. No. No. <laughs> I know it. As yeah. soon as you say it, I'm going to say, yeah. Vapor Trails. Oh. And it's actually an album that I think they went back and remixed because they hated how it sounded so much. And it, it was not what I wanted to hear at that time. This was like the spring when I was first really getting into indie rock as well. Mm. Uh, so it was so just that is not that. Not where I was at at all. The reissue is an album I still love by an artist who I love dearly. And it's Band on the Run. By Paul McCartney and Wings. Cool. Which the, the the kind of deluxe edition was released that day, and that was my first time owning it on CD, which I, cool. I had it on cassette, amazingly enough. This is like wow. when it was, 2002. Sure. I was still making mixtapes in 2002, guys, which is crazy, because um, iPods existed, but I didn't have no iPod. No. I was a college student. Wait, you made him money? Yeah. Uh, this is when you were living in New York. <laughs> were you living in New York City at the time? No, 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 no. I was, I was, uh, I was living in Rhode Island, going to Rick All right, with Steve. Steve, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was my first year of college. Cool. Here in Rhode Island. Uh, but yeah, so I remember that vividly, and I remember really loving the record. And of course, I did see them on the tour later that summer, which I am always calling the Maladroit Tour. Technically, it's called the Enlightenment Tour, but who's counting? Um, but yeah, this was an album I really loved. I loved it way more than Green at the time. But uh, we'll talk about my feelings and how they've perhaps evolved about the record, kind of in the context of all the other music I've heard from them that's come out since. But at the time, I was feeling it. Yeah, as you should. Yeah. Uh, so you already dropped your raddest riff. I sure did. Steve, do you have a raddest riff in this song? My raddest riff for this tune is definitely the walking bass line that the Shrine Man weaves in and out of all the sections, specifically in the post-chorus. Yeah. I guess what we call he does some really great bass work, he, and he kind of is opening the door here, too, saying, I'm the new guy in the block, and I can walk the bass. This is a weird structure, we should say, too. That's kind of like, to me, the bridge, but it happens twice, which is not something that Weezer does shy away from. In fact, their most famous song, arguably, Island of the Sun, has two bridges. If you think about it, we'll spend some time to get, like, that yep. part is a bridge, I guess. It functions similarly to this. Does this song not have the feel, though, of kind of a cut-and-paste effort? Like, of just like, wow, how does a song that starts like this end up in a place like that? It kind of becomes classic Weezer, ultimately. When I first heard this record, I felt that all the tunes were a little maladroit, if you will, a little yeah. clumsy, just kind of thrown together. And I, I think I've kind of been immune to that as the more I've listened to it. Right, because you, you get to know songs. where it's going. But on a fir the first few listens, it's kind of like, okay, th it's this, choppy. Is, this is different. Yeah, it's yeah choppy. I think that's very apparent in so many of the songs because they have this great transition between the verses and the choruses, and half the time you don't know which is which. Yes, it's true. Um, which is really cool because if you read, you know, if you're going online and reading the lyrics, 
you know, verse one will be two lines and then the chorus will be two lines and yeah. then immediately into verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So you kind of have this feeling of these are just songs that happen and I don't know what, what phase of the song I'm in, which is really cool. Um, but to your point, uh, Steve, that these are very choppy, maladroit songs, I think it, it's very reflective of the fact that Rivers was just cranking out songs. Oh, yeah. absolutely. He was just like, yeah, I got a new idea. Boom, here's a song. I got another idea. Boom, here's a song. Um, and I think that's that is very reflective in, in the sound of these. Now, it's interesting to note, too, prolific, and they were recording a lot, a lot of different versions of songs. And this song, when it was first recorded back in May of the previous year, it sounded completely different. Now I'm quiet, everybody. Got a lot of things to see. I told you once before that you better not take it from me. What Weezer cover band was that? <laughs> That's yeah, got... they didn't nail the feel. <laughs> got to get a different drummer. That's got some pizzazz. That's so f- funky. It's funky and weird. Playful. Very Loving that riff. Yeah, very out there. Yeah, very very out there. We should mention too. This riff is a chromatic riff, and for those of you non musicians, that literally just means moving up or down in just half step motion, one note to the very next note to the very next note. You see that? And it, like Weezer has never done anything that sounds like that. Yes. That's really like the heaviest thing they've ever done. And it's just a big fat sound too, because when they do the second batch of three notes, they're actually doing kind of an inverted power chord. These are just like the most common chords in rock, but they're putting the fifth beneath. Even on a even on a nylon string classical guitar, you can hear the depth of that chord, more or less. There's not a lot of chromaticism in uh, Weezer's harmonic vocabulary to begin with no there's really not a lot of dissonance it stands out when it's there i think an interesting aspect of dissonance in this song is those background falsetto vocals what do you guys think of those in the pre-choruses on the keep on sections oh the keep yeah that's my raddest riff oh great nice yeah that, that was the next I absolutely closest. love those syncopated keep keep it's a cool keep, rhythm keep and that's very Weezer, even though the song may not sound like Weezer at that moment. Or who's to say the song doesn't sound like Weezer? Weezer's playing it. It sounds like Weezer, but those vocals especially. Man. And I think there's a lot of playful falsetto vocals uh, throughout the record. Oh, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the guitar solo here, which I find in the context of this record, which is laden with good to great guitar solos by Rivers. He Every was song. Feeling it. There's not one song that doesn't have a guitar solo on it. Right. This is probably my least favorite. I agree. I think it has no phrasing to speak of, no melody to speak of, and it's just kind of abrasive. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about his guitar playing at this time. Rivers has an amazing interview, uh, and I mean that in every sense. I am truly amazed that this interview was published uh, with Guitar World Magazine, which came out around the time of the record's release. Oh boy, I'm so excited. And we're going to be talking about this interview a little bit throughout uh, this this episode. But Rivers discussed his playing style in this Guitar World magazine interview. And he said, quote, My point in playing lead is not to show the extremes of my technique. It's to try to say something melodically. Which is often true. I don't think it's true in this song, but that's absolutely true. But he also continued, If you put a gun to my head and said shred, I could blow some motherfuckers away. <laughs> 
My God. He was like, he was feeling himself. He was cocky as hell. He later said in the interview that this record is all about my desire to let the guitar fly. Whatever that means. (laughs) Yeah. He's slinging some bull. Speaking of bull, we should talk about some lyrics right now because this album sucks lyrically, if I may be so blunt. Do you, you fellas agree? You may be so blunt. Yeah, terrible. Terrible lyrics. Um, I have to say, finding laughable or lame lyrics for the most part is pretty easy uh, for these records. This one, very difficult because I don't really find any of the lyrics particularly... Nothing pops out, really. Uh, but for this song, my laughable slash lame lyric was, because I'm hurting... So I'll flame you. <laughs> that that is mine as well, actually. Oh, beautiful! I, yeah, I had trouble finding um, finding one from most of these songs. Uh, same as you, but I will say early versions of this song from May until the end of December included the line "Pay your beeswax, you can grab it." Which, if it was in the song, would absolutely be <laughs> whatever the fuck that means. It's not fair. You're cheating. You have all I this know. extra bonus content. I to pull needed. From. I needed help, man, with the lyrics to this record a little bit. That's fair. Um, you mentioned flaming. This brings to mind another quote from that interview. It's the last thing I'll say for a bit about this interview. But really, it's a must read. Guitar World 2002 Rivers Cuomo interview. Check it out on Weezerpedia. Um, he was asked in this interview if he was a teenager at the time, would he? be a fan of Weezer or would he be more drawn to new metal which was kind of the prevailing genre of rock at this particular time in the early 2000s to which Rivers said quote I'd think Weezer were a bunch of fags woof Jesus Christ that's tour canceling this day and age yikes yeah that'd be that'd be like crisis mode if you were to say that and he he is very loose with that in the word gay and things like this all around this period I'm not sure when but everyone was it's time, true. It was know? a different time. It was 17 years ago. You throw around gay as an insult all the time. And uh, I think this next song is uh, also indicative of such looseness with language. Okay, case in point, where was the verse and where was the chorus? Oh, I think it's clear. This one's on a this little song. more. This one's a little clear, but yeah. they blend real nice. But I would argue that the hook is the intro. Absolutely, intro, like that's the hook of this song. Mm-hmm. Like yes. if you said, "Oh, is that this?" Like, what is Dope Nose? Oh, it's the song that goes, "Whoa, whoa!" You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't hit that note. That was insane. What happened to my voice there? No, I can hit that note, but not the actual note of the song. Um, yeah. And I'll say right off the bat, that's my raddest riff in this song is actually the intro the and interludes. Yeah, I just think that Sweet. is incredible. And if you guys are wondering, this song didn't always have that as the intro. And I think it salvages this song from being kind of a forgettable piece of just pop rock whatever. Uh to really being something that's very exciting. Exciting enough that this was actually the first single released off the record. Crazy. I never would have known that. Yeah, it's not one that really gets the same love, you know, as Hashpipe, which was 
Written at the same time. Written at the same time, uh, Rivers was drinking a bunch of tequila, and he took a bunch of Ritalin, and he was pacing back and forth, and those two songs just popped right out of him. Productive night. He got the first two singles from his two, from two consecutive records. You know, not a bad night. It all he cost should, him was some tequila and some pills. He should do more drugs. Drink more frequently. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that too. He should totally do some more drugs. As should you know, listeners. Why don't you as well? Let's take this time. We'll take a quick recess. Everybody, do some drugs, and we'll come right back. And we're back. Guys, what do you think of this song? I'm definitely into it. Cool. I like this song quite a bit. Me too. Far more than American Gigolo. Me too. Definitely, definitely. Um, I like the tone. I mean, the tone hasn't really changed that much. You still got that super, super heavy distorted guitar. Uh, killer drums. Great bass playing. Um, the vocal hook is great. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and, and drop in my Radis riff. Holy guitar solo. I like this one infinitely better than American Gigolo. This might be one of my favorite Weezer guitar solos. Interesting. If not my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. That's cool. I, it would not be for me, but like I think it's cool and it rips. I agree. I think it, it is ripping and it truly is. He's shredding, but he's not shredding the whole time. He takes a couple breaths and I think he phrases it really well. Yeah. I was a little on the opposite side of the fence as you guys. I did not like this song right out of the gate. It took me a little while to get into it and I think maybe because it is kind of a stark contrast from American Gigolo I kind of like was getting geared up for the heavy dark Weezer and then this one comes in and poppy hook yeah and I mean I I like it now and my feelings have certainly certainly changed but uh and you know I did I did a little form analysis on each of these tunes oh beautiful and uh this one I clocked in as ABC ABC Prime, uh-huh. and then ABC Prime again. Yeah. You know, the C Prime, they throw on that little, this dope nose. Yeah. That's an exciting, non-diatonic, meaning not part of the key chord there. But it's one of like the safer ones to go to. It's something that actually the Beatles used a lot, and it's often implied when a song goes to the minor four chord. Meaning, whatever the key is, if you go to the fourth chord of that key and then make it minor, it works its way back to one very well. So this song is in B-flat, and that chord is a G-flat major. So technically, it's a flat six. Yeah. That's something you hear too at like the beginning of Lola by the Kinks. Like it's just it's a sound that really somehow works, and it just is enough to excite the ear without being challenging harmonically. But I'm with you there. I I love that. Mm. Also, killer ending to this song. The whole record is filled with highly syncopated little endings that come out of nowhere. Yes. Particularly the second half of the record. I'm so excited to talk about yeah. some of those oh, endings. Yeah. That ending was my honorable mention for Radis Rail. Cool. Yeah, it's like a fucking Beethoven ending, but like on a two minute and 17 second pop rock song. My Radis riff would have to be the guitar part in the choruses that kind of do a little call and answer. I love that. That was, yep. that was my honorable mention, actually. Yes, fantastic. So many, there's so many great little bits to this song. I think that's why I like it so much. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a crafty piece of songwriting. It really is. Even though it really has nothing to say, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, some of the best songs ever say absolutely nothing. So I'm not saying this is one of the best songs ever. This is not a great song, like in the grand scheme of music, but like for like a rock band in the early 2000s, this thing rips. I, I dig it. Yeah. All right. Getting into lamest slash laughable lyrics. Yeah. 
probably the best one on the record, in my personal opinion. We're probably all going to have the same one. Let's Maybe. say it at the same time. All right. Let's go three, three. two, one. Okay. Three, two, one. Cheese Fat smells, smells so good on a burnt up piece of lamb. Guys, that must have been really fun to hear. 66.67%. <laughs> well, we have a majority at least. I So I have to admit, I put all of verse two. Yeah. So fag of the year. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that is just, that's painful. How just in case be? you didn't hear it. Cheese smells so good on a burnt piece of lamb. Piece of what? Fag of the year. <laughs> who could beat up your man? Fag of the year. Who could beat up your... I mean, that is so bad. Why is that in this song? It doesn't, it doesn't even make, make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it's offensive. Yeah. Like, these are different times. It, see, I watched the music video this week, and it looks and sounds in the music video, and maybe this is a thing, but I just don't know about it, that maybe he says flag of the year in the music video just as like a censor. Because it, I, it just, for some reason, that popped to me, but I didn't like go back and rewind and check. But I was like, oh, I think they may have played it safe. Good call. Not that that makes sense either, but I mean, there's no need to have that lyric in this song. Because I love the lyric. Like, it makes me actively laugh. Cheese smells like, like, that's a funny lyric. Yeah. Like, actually funny. I know. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I just love the, resp- the who, yeah. I don't know if it's Bell or it's trying Bell, to say, yeah. say, piece of what? Piece of what? Yeah, he's so good at those little ad libs. You know, Sharp was always great at him too, but Bell really plays a big role in adding those little bits of character to these songs. And there's, there's a couple that I want to play later uh, off of some of the alternate versions that are just amazing. back-to-back single action. That's right. The only two singles on the record. Yeah. Or off the record. Mm-hmm. Off the record, these are the only two singles on the record. Okay, back on the record. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Back on the record. I'm on mic. What do we think, boys? It's catchy. Not bad. Yeah, I couldn't see Steve liking this song. It took me a little while, but I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. It's kind of pop rock at its finest. In the classic sense, I think like in a more of a 60s sense, pop rock. Like yeah. this feels like like a love and spoonful song or something, but Absolutely. with heavy distorted guitars. It, it sounds some, like something you could play on the radio at yeah. this time, you know. And it, thus it was. And family, family friendly. Speaking of music videos, oh, oh my gosh. Oh god, have well, you seen this music video, Steve? It's been a while, but I have seen it. No, if you're gonna say it, sing it. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was the look in Steve's eyes of confusion. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Yeah, this is when you realize like like that is a running gag on Bang Bang. You talking you two to me? Are you talking okay. REM? That <laughs> so much so that they did a full episode called Stained Glass, where they talk about stained with comedian Todd Glass. <laughs> it's perfect. I highly, I could not recommend that more highly. The, to you both people. of those episodes, the one on U two and the one on REM, both amazing. Yeah, check that out. 
For sure. Stained glass. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but where were we? Music video for fucking Keep Fishing. The Muppets and Weezer. Oh, this is such a sweet video. It's hilarious. <laughs> I had never seen it until about a week and a half ago. Right. And I was doing all my notes for the show, and Tita goes, hey, you need to talk about the music video for Keep Fishing. And I was like, like, oh, what's that? I was like, I've never seen it. Yeah. And she just looks at me dumbfounded and puts it on immediately. Oh. Hilarious. A star-making turn for Mr. Wilson. Absolutely. I was actually so, so worried for Pat Wilson's safety in that video because he was about 30 seconds away from being raped by Miss Piggy. <laughs> Admitted, Patrick. You cannot resist moi. <sighs> no, not right at the moment. I cannot. So for those of you who have never seen the music video, to set the scene, basically Pat Wilson is tied to a chair in Miss Piggy's dressing room before the uh, the recording of the not music video. Not bound to the floor, though, like local age. <laughs> Sorry, you do not get that reference. I don't. Good 90s song, right, Stevie? Pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty. He's like, I fucking hate that song. Why are you bringing up local age, man? <laughs> what would that podcast be called if we discussed just Lo- the band local age? Local age? H? Yeah. Losers talking local age. <laughs> to ya. I saw local age two years ago. Are you serious? I think they opened for Metallica. That's cr- why. I don't know. It was bizarre. I'm not saying why did you go. I'm saying why were they opening for that? Didn't even make t- sense in the two 90s. years ago. Yeah, Gillette. How did Metallica sound? Good. Yeah? yeah, they were great. Right on. It was the first time I saw them. I, I enjoyed. That it. was the first time. Yeah. How first do you and feel- only. How do you feel about Death Magnetic? Death Magnetic, uh, not a huge fan. Okay. Not a huge fan. It's kind of like, hey, look at this riff. Let's do that riff eight times, and then let's do your riff six times, yeah. and then let's do my riff four times. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. This you know, is, the- this has been we talking Metallica today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me talking Metallica. <laughs> um, yeah, Wilson, so he's tied up in Miss Piggy's dressing room. The band can't find them. Now, the band themselves... Not quite the charisma <laughs> of Mr. Wilson. Uh, you, you guys ready? You're up next. Well, actually, we have a big problem. Well, wait a second. Where's Pat? We can't find him. What? Well, yep. Drummers. Oh, well, don't, don't worry, guys. We know what to do in situations like this. <laughs> What's that? Pat! <laughs> we can't find him. I was just about to do that. <laughs> we can't Rivers. find him. Just dead blank stare. Well, there's a reason they're musicians and not actors. No, that's true. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Wilson had a natural charisma. I mean, truly, I know we're kind of joking around, but he really he does really well in that role. It was funny. I loved the Muppets growing up. This was very exciting when it came out. Though, if you saw this video and heard this song on the radio, you did not hear the version of the song from the record. You, in fact, heard an alternate radio version that was entirely re-recorded because Rivers was never satisfied with the sound of the recorded version. So they went back to the studio and did it upright, according to him. up or step down what do you think boys um half dozen of one or step up to the streets 
Lateral sidestep? <laughs> Great reference. Great reference. <laughs> yeah, lateral, but definitely a way different sound. Yeah, yeah different guitar licks, different... Acoustic guitar, yeah, of course. Yeah, acoustic guitar intro. I'm, um, I'm really missing the drum entrance, though. Right, the drum intro. And Scott Schreiner's little bass intro, the... Yes. Yeah. So great. I, he does a little different line there, though. That was... It was pretty good. He does. It feels like this is almost his wheelhouse, this more rhythmic, swangin' kind of thing. Definitely. As far as the original song goes, yeah, I mean, fine tune, right? I mean, like, it's one of those songs, it's like, there's nothing wrong with this song. I like it. I don't actively avoid it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sure. I will say, this record, all 13, this song, this record for me is 13 out of 13. Okay. There's not a single you song. You hate them all. Zero <laughs> percent. Uh, no, there's not a single song I actively dislike. That I I agree with that, which Agreed. is awesome. Agreed. Do you think this is the hardest album to pick a black album selection? Which for new listeners, that's our least favorite song from the record. Was this the hardest um, album to? This and White album, yeah, so for far, me too. That we've talked about. I know Steve is this is his first exercise, but it uh, was it easy for you to pick a black album? No, and I've gone back and forth, back and forth. I think I finally decided on one. But, uh, it, Same. I still have a couple of contenders in the air as and, we speak, and we save the right. It's always down to the last minute, and uh, we save this till the end uh, of the podcast. But I feel we are not going to have much consensus on this record, or Probably at not. the very least, I have no indication of what these two dudes are feeling from this record. And I'm not sure they have much feel for what I like from this record. I don't have much feel for what I like. Yeah, yeah, right. There are tears for this uh, on this album, both emotional and T-I-E-R-S. But once you get up to that higher tier for me, they all kind of blend together. And I kind of like them all equally and a lot. I will say, even though I don't actively dislike every song, I feel as though every song almost sounds the same. These songs are so similar. Especially so, the back half for of the, the record. For oh, the better yeah. for better or for worse. Yeah. Um so. it holds together. Yeah. But I do prefer a more colorful record generally. Like Absolutely. even Pinkerton has butterfly. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But there are the outliers here are while they're not acoustic songs, there are outliers just the same, or at least one or two, you know? But it's really like different approaches to the same thing. And that's what's unique about this. A white, the White Album is a colorful record. A lot of different feels. Incredibly and Something so. like jacked up. <laughs> jacked up. I'm sorry. Getting emotional over here. Getting all jacked up myself just talking about it. All clamped up. Yeah. I'm verklempt. <laughs> but I think the point you were trying to make. What was it? <laughs> Jesus. Jacked up versus wind in our sails versus thank God for girls. Yeah. Three key examples of how versatile those guys could be at that time with keys yeah let's talk riff let's talk lyric what do we got boys steve what do you got my raddest riff for this one is the transition from the swing to the double time oh great phil the phil the way he slams into the double time it just it's great gets me every time it's it's like such an infusion of energy after kind of almost a relaxed feel yes for the first time on the record it's only track three but like Kind of just more laid back feel, and then pop, 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 pop. Remember this from the previous two songs? Well, here we are. Yeah. I love that. So when we just heard there, what I would say is my raddest riff, which are the background vocals throughout this song. I think they are integral to the success of this song is the call and response and, and, and the harmonies there. And I just kind of dig it. I could literally say the drums for probably 
90% of this record, yes. and I could easily say them for this song. Yes. But I'm just trying to vary it up a bit. I do like the background vocals on this. Chris? Yeah, you hit it for me. I had the uh, the call and response. Yeah. And just the, they make it incredibly radio-friendly. It's just really, really, really nice. Yeah, it's built to be a sing-along. Yeah, I had the guitar solo as a as a backup, as an honorable mention, but, I mean, there's a pretty ripping guitar solo in every song, so again, to, to kind of change it up. Yeah. Um, to make this make this song a little bit more unique, stand out from the other 13, or the other 12 tracks, I should say. In terms of lyrics, though, yeah, uh, I would say that mine would be the line from the chorus, just the thought of you in love with someone else. Feels a little cliche right. and a little kitschy. That being said, I don't hate it too much. In this context, I think it's you know kind of sweet, relatively. I did not have a lyric for this one, but I would like to point out I really enjoyed Rivers' falsetto in the, in the ending of the song. He kind of goes up uh, during the uh, "Waste My Days." Yeah, 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 that's great. Very cool. I think that inclu- that's all included in the raddest rip. Just the li- the entire vocal work in the song. Absolutely, really, right. really nice. I will say I do love the line. It breaks my heart to see you hanging from your shelf. Mm. I think that's a cool line. You're putting yourself out on display, and it's like, man. I used to have that, and now you're flaunting yourself for everybody else. It kills me. I think it's just a cool way of saying that, hanging from your shelf. Wow, yeah. I, know, I just thought he had a speech impediment. He was trying to say self. <laughs> uh, my lyric is because I never knew what he was saying, and it's the chorus, and that's not a great thing. Or actually, technically a pre-chorus or something. But when he goes, drown a ways, because one, I don't know what the fuck I don't know what that, that means. means. And two, like this is a single... And until I read them this week, I had no idea what he ever said there. And I would sing along with this song. I don't know what I would say. Like, I was saying, like, in down dirt ways. Like, I didn't know what he was saying. I mean, I liked it melodically, but drown a ways. All right, man. Hmm. But, like, that to me is, like, if you don't know what they're saying and it's, like, supposed to be a hit, it's probably a problem. That's my jam. That is my jam too, baby. I love this song. I quite like it. I love it. Brian Bell loved it too. He actually thought it should be a single. uh, I don't know how well it would do. Yeah, I'm not sure. It would have been from the hash pipe kind of school of Weezer singles, but without the kind of hook of the falsetto melody. But I think it's like, this is not a riff I'm inclined to enjoy just because of my taste. I don't generally like hard rock that's kind of derived from blues and we would say I would say that this main riff is that but I love what they do with it I love the way that the chords change over the top of it I love the harmonies I love the guitar solo which is my raddest riff like by a mile um you know I had to reserve my raddest riff for my favorite guitar solos from the record because there are just so many to speak of as we've said uh but yeah a lot to like here I love that guitar riff I love the guitar tone it's so crunchy that's my raddest riff is literally the flange as he's coming into the coming out of the solo yeah Yeah, oh my god um and also the guitar solo is fantastic 
That guitar solo, which we're definitely going to listen to, is it's all about threes. If you think about it, it's all these groups of threes. One, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, 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 one, two. You know, it's just so cool. Enough one, two, threes. Let's let the people hear it. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Yeah, so we hear there the the flange at the end there leading into the uh, chorus and just a really nice piece of guitar phrasing. Absolutely. He phrases it really well. It's completely devoid of vibrato, bending, slides. It's like rigidly played, but it's phrased so well that it still has a sense of musicality to it. I would say in all of River's solos, the articulation is so clean consistently. Like very few hammer-ons and pull-offs and little guitar-y tricks. He's picking everything really clearly. Yeah, you can hear his like Yngwie Malmsteen and Eddie Van Halen and kind of guitar god guys coming into his fingers there. I think in the... (laughs) I'm sure as a teen, he would have loved into his fingers. His guitar god's coming into his fingers. I believe in the aforementioned uh, interview, he... He likens his guitar playing to the Scorpions. Yeah. Who I love. No way, really? Oh, definitely. They rock you like, what, a tsunami? Uh, oh, fuck, I was going to say that. Were you I really? was going to try to I was gonna say tsunami. <laughs> South of the border. Yeah, 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 yeah. That Southern Hemisphere hurricane. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So is <laughs> This song did not used to rock so hard, and it's actually... It's funny, like, if you listen to various versions over the course of the year 2001 that preceded uh, this album's release, you can really hear that just the intensity growing and growing. Let's listen a little bit to the first version that I believe was committed to tape in Washington, D.C. in 2001 to kind of hear where the song started. Terribly different. Well, it's like it's you, you like on hear, downers. Yes, <laughs> you can hear it's slower. You can hear way more bass. I never really even realized that the bass and the guitar were playing unison there. Yeah, which is really nice. That does not happen a lot in these riffs, too. He, no, he very you know he always, always is adding something a little he usually extra. walking or something like that, and he adds a lot extra at the very end of oh, this song. That, that's my radis riff. Oh, cool. I mean, fuck yeah, Shrine. Shrine and bright. Shrine and bright. <laughs> you let us know about those t-shirts, yo. Send us an email, weestalkingwees at gmail.com. You want a Shrine and Bright shirt, you let us know. I think we should make Shrine and Bright tanks because he's so strong. That'd be perfect. Or like, we'll make the sleeves muscles. Fake muscles. <laughs> muscles. Three-quarter sleeve. That'd be awesome. That would be really good. 
Oh or my. one of those ridiculous Ed Hardy Under Armour <laughs> patterns that he seems to be sporting these days. Yeah, yeah. Interesting style, this man. I've never what? seen him not wearing sunglasses, but like not like black sunglasses, just like like a rose small color, fade, rose <laughs> yeah, color, rose or blue or something. Yeah, absolutely. I would be interested in one of those Shrine and Bright tanks if it comes with one of those rubber grills with a gold tooth you can put in your. Pocket. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We got to get like a mini grill. Buy one, get one grill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Buy one shirt, get one grill. Definitely. I think we've addressed all of our favorite musical parts of the song. Yeah. Well, I, I, in verse two, I just wanted to say, there's a vocal effect. There's an echo that comes in on the voice. Uh, and definitely listen to it, folks, next time you listen to this song. It's really cool. Uh, Weezer, we've talked about in the past, is a notoriously dry-sounding band. No reverb, you know, very little delay, like nothing that makes the, the sound bigger or wetter. In fact... That version we just heard there from DC is almost like the most spacious thing they had done to this point in their career. Like nothing before this ever sounded like that. It's only when when they started toying with like modern production techniques that they got any more effects in their songs. You know, the occasional flange as we heard. But I really like the vocal sound there. It just speaks to me. I like spacious music. So to have a little element of that here in a crunchy, driven Weezer song is exciting to my ear. But let's move on to lyrics. Yo, everyone. 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 I know. Take control. (laughs) What a weird lyric. I never realized he said yo. Me neither. Yeah. I I thought it was your everyone I know. Everyone. Exactly. But it's no. So it's Yo, everyone, everyone. Yo, everyone, everyone, everyone I know. Take control. You know, it's just offering some advice to everyone. Yo. I don't need that advice. Cuomo. (laughs) Steve, what do you got? I just thought the uh, drag your name all over town. Yeah, lame. It's pretty like like this is not a good lyrical song, you know. Like to me, like it's, yeah, we've talked about yeah. the lyrics in this record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. yeah. how short these little clips are they're so much shorter than than normal yeah just because a the songs are shorter but they just it's more condensed all these songs are so much more condensed we will have to play this so i learned to turn and look the other way part because that's just oh god so yeah. good but it, it just takes too long to get there so you know a little verse here just to establish the song so this is death and destruction there, there can't be a bigger divide between the sound of a song and its name that i can oh, think yeah. of yeah we're finally getting to hear a little clean guitar yeah First time we've he's clicked his overdrive pedal off the yeah. whole, whole record. No, it's true. Rolled off some of that gain. And because of that, I actually did not like this song purely based on its name because I was so into the rocking and rolling of the first four songs. And when this goes, oh, death and destruction, no, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with a title like that, I'm sure oh, you had higher expectations. Oh, I, I was ready to have my face blown off with another guitar solo, but it didn't happen. Instead, I, you know... Got this pussy rock. Yeah, man. What was this, Rivers? Which is why I love this song. I quite like this song. It, oh. it grew on me considerably. What a great guitar motion. Mm-hmm. Great guitar interplay. Really nice sound. Great singing. 
awesome singing, heartfelt. I mean, so emo. Yeah. So emo, this song. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the lyrics suck. Yeah. and uh, He sings them great. He but, sings them great, but, but the lyrics the, are I hate thin the words. and weak and embarrassing. Absolutely. Lamest lyric, I wrote, uh, the whole song. Yeah. But in particular, the outro, where he spells, I love you. Yeah. Letter by letter. Blech. Awesome part musically, embarrassing part lyrically. Yeah. Funny enough, this song was originally supposed to be an instrumental. It is, a, yes. And we have recordings of that, in fact. But I'm not going to play them because just imagine it without singing. Come on, people. Use your imagination. Let's take our time. Everyone think about it right now. Sounds good. I love it. Okay. Not bad. Not bad at all. My lyric would actually be, so I cry and I'm hurting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's just like, that reminds me of like Ren's toothache from Ren and Stimpy where it's like, Stimpy, <laughs> I hurting. You know? <laughs> My tooth. <laughs> Check that episode out, people. If you want to learn something about how to take care of your oral hygiene. Take control. It's funny. Taking care of your teeth seems to be a running theme amongst Nickelodeon TV shows. Oh, interesting. Did you ever watch Cat Dog? No. That might have been a little Because I ab- was like 25. Yeah, it was a little after that. <laughs> Funny enough, I think that was the target market. Oh, wow. Like that it. age group. It's pretty. It's a pretty messed up show. But there's this horrible episode. You know the premise of Cat Dog, yeah? It's a cat and a dog who are attached together as one animal. I, I did not, one end, One ends a cat, one ends a dog. And long story short, all of a sudden, their oral hygiene switches. So whatever dog eats the repercussions happen to cat's teeth and whatever cat's teeth oh. repercussion happens to dogs. So they start like sabotaging each other and like chewing on tin foil and doing these horrible things and then they both end up losing their teeth. It's disgusting. Oh God. I don't know why. That, that is that like Ren's toothache. Spoiler yeah. alert, Ren loses his teeth and he airs out his stinky gum holes. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Ugh. The premise of Cat Dog reminds me of a prequel to the Human Centipede movies. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that show. Yeah, it was a pretty gnarly show. It was kind of like along the same time as like Invader Zim, just okay. like Avril Monsters, all those really fucked up kids shows. Nickelodeon did not hold back in the 90s, early oh. 2000s. Back to Weezer. So we've talked enough about how terrible the lyrics are in this song. Should we talk about the things that we actually genuinely like? The music. Yeah. Steve, you got something yeah. for us? Well, I, I, my, you know, my raddest riff notwithstanding the lyrics, is the vocal phrasing, the the actual melody, and I just love the way that those vocals come in on, you know, on the second bar, on the second beat of the second bar yeah. on the section, which just really places it nice. So I could see it actually working quite well as an instrumental. I completely agree. It's it's so patient, and, and we always talk about how my favorite Weezer songs tend to be the ones that do exercise some semblance of patience, and, and this one absolutely does it, but in a much tighter package than we've heard before with the Red Album era deluxe edition, you know, the Spider and Pig mm-hmm. and those songs, and of course Angel and the One. It's great to hear it here in a, a tighter little package. You just love talking about little packages. <laughs> Tight little packages. That's right. No loose packages here, guys. Take them outside. Was that Bill Clinton? (laughs) (laughs) Take them outside. Uh, How about the guitar solo here? Absolutely. Radis Riff right here.
just heard there, my raddest riff, which is that triplet descending figure coming out of the choruses. I guess that's a chorus. So nice. Can we talk about Pat Wilson's drumming underneath that solo really fast? If you want to. Oh my God, he's so good at that shit. Just like literally farting out triplets. But like the feel is immaculate. And that's something that you actually, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to play it. Like, I'm divided on that, because that was an awesome little lick there on the hi-hat that Wilson did. But the feel is much worse there. Do you notice the feel isn't as as good? It's not as tight. It's almost just a little too rigid. I think he found the air and the breath to this. And and we should mention, this is a a waltz. This is a triple meter song. And he just found a way to kind of almost be behind the beat in a way that they didn't have in the early versions there. I will say, I did have... The solo as my raddest riff, but in general, I would say the guitar tone, particularly the fact that he palm mutes. Yeah. In the solo and in the choruses. You don't expect the palm muting in this context. You expect it on take control. Yeah, right. Yeah, the articulation throughout, whether on the solo or, or the rhythm guitar parts and arpeggios. It's really cool. And how about that pinch harmonic we just heard in the guitar solo? It's one of my favorite things ever that can be done on that instrument. And yes, absolutely. And we should mention every guitar solo here is double tracked and hard panned left and right. When you pan, it's just simply saying, I just want that in the left channel. I just want that in the right channel. You could do a kind of a subtle pan as well. But this, if you listen to this record on headphones, pay attention to the guitar solos because you're going to be hearing identical playing, but different, a slightly different tone and a slightly different articulation. And it creates just a huge lush lead guitar texture. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I did not know that until today. Oh, wow. I was taking my notes today listening in headphones, and I almost never listen in headphones. I would have put money on you saying taking a shit. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I I get a lot done when I'm pooping. Yeah, sure. You're a country shitter, as they say. A country shitter? It's just somebody takes a lot. Oh, yeah. No, I've heard that. Oh, absolutely. Well, you have to think about it. We both talk about how time is the most valuable resource. No doubt. You can't waste time shit, and you can multitask. You can walk and chew gum, right? Me, personally? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I, I can, too, I think. All right, no, great. So. <laughs> We're all on the same page. Moving Listeners, on. Listeners, <laughs> if you can, hit us up on uh, tweet at <laughs> Please let us know if you can, can walk. Can you walk and chew gum? We'll also be happy to talk about what you guys like to do while you shit. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Poop emoji it up, people. Send, it, send us your thoughts. I, I would you know challenge anyone to go back, to and listen to the bass work. Lots of little melodic... Little walk-ups that Shriner does under the vocals that, you know, if you're not listening for that, you're probably not going to hear it. But the very subtle but very melodic bass work on this whole tune. And speaking of walking around, uh, we mention a lot on this show about Weezer songs commonly walking down through a scale. The chords of a song is just a common trope of the genre, and Rivers is particularly good at exploiting that. This one does a similar thing, but instead of starting on the home chord, the one chord, which would be A in this song, it actually starts on the four chord and walks down through the scale to the home chord, which is not a sound we hear from them much, actually. For all the times that they use this device, it's rare that it would start anywhere but on one. 
So this song literally will just walk through a D major to kind of a C sharp minor seven, if not kind of a an A slash C sharp kind of chord, uh, B minor seven, and then to A, which is is a sweet little movement. I mean, nothing new there, but just the role that it plays in the key is different. Lastly, I would say those final chords of the song, which is just an A major seven chord, uh, which sounds like this. Which is just awesome. You can hear there if I arpeggiate it. And what we have there is literally stacking up the first of the chord, the third of the chord, the fifth of the chord, and the major seventh, which are A, C sharp, E, and G sharp, in case you're curious. And then later, he, and I can't do it on this guitar because frankly, I don't have the frets, but uh, they play the whole chord up an octave as well. Why don't we hear that real quick and then move on to the next song? Just did that bass part. <laughs> yeah, so great. We played air bass. We sang it. We're on the same page. Yes. Needless to say, I think Slob is in the top half of the record for all of us. For sure. It's gotta be. So good. The vocal performance, the bass playing, the guitar playing, Pat pounding away on those cymbals. Just rocking. The intro, that ride cymbal hitting the bell there. And just, yeah. oh, the te- and the texture of just the drums and the guitar and the voice, really, really great. Yeah, really exposed vocal delivery, so too. So raw. Very raw. Just a raw sound all around. Everybody knows we like it raw. Just like ODB himself. Yeah, baby, he likes it raw. <laughs> uh, I'll have to tell on the podcast sometime. I'm not going to do it here because we have so much music to talk about. But the time that I sat across from Wu-Tang Clan, the entire Wu-Tang Clan, on a plane to Orlando when I was 12 years old. It was one of the great... Yeah. It was amazing. I will say in short, when we landed in Orlando, the pilot came on the intercom and said, said, please welcome to Orlando the Wu-Tang Clan who are on this plane. I was like, what celebrity would ever request that or be okay with that? Usually you're trying to be anonymous. And that happened. I looked over and ODB just smiled and his grill. I mean, Shrine, you got nothing on ODB when it comes to grill action. He's got a tooth. (laughs) Yeah, this guy's got the full on. It was just glistening in the Florida sun. Jeez, what a great story. You must have been starstruck. I was excited. I can't even imagine your face. Yeah, it was rows upon rows. It was like it was like five, six rows of like two of them. Just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I was like, huh, right on. And I They're was a hefty there. crew. Yeah. Yeah, they are a hefty crew. A hefty clan. 
And then later, fuck it, I'm just telling the whole thing. I was I went to there with my grandmother. R.I.P. Gmo. And we were playing blackjack right next to the Wu Tang Clan. And I was like, these guys look, this is funny. I don't know, something's happening here. Anyway, so she heard that announcement. And later, we're walking out of the airport. And the family's last name is Levendusky. And we were all there, like my extended family and stuff. And we're walking through the airport. And my grandmother just goes, you know how they talked about that clan on the plane? Well, we're the Levendusky clan. She had no idea. We were walking by the entirety of the Wu-Tang Clan at that moment. Like, the timing couldn't have been worse or better. I mean, it makes for a funnier story. And I'm like, Chimo, no! You know? They didn't talk about, uh, they didn't exchange Grammy talk? I know. They've been at the Grammys. Or no, that was the Source Awards. Never mind. Oh, well. So back to the song. Steve, what do you think? I love this song. It rocks. It's, uh... It's one of my favorite songs on the record, for sure. This is a song that was revived from the Summer 2000 song group. That's a great batch of songs that we're definitely going to do a podcast on in the not-so-distant future. But uh, this was one that was brought back into the fold by the fans on that message board. Who thank, said, thank God for them. Yeah, absolutely. Like It shows like sometimes the fans are right there, Rivers. He said he never would have thought to put this on the record, but they gave it a shot and uh, ended up liking how it was sounding, it's so they very, went with it. It's very Pinkerton-y. Very Pinkertony or Pinkertonish, Pinkertonesque. That's the best one. Thanks. Good one, CK. <laughs> Thanks, P. Uh, and weirdly, this is only one of three songs from that group of songs, which you know was considerable. That actually got released. The others being Dope Nose and Hashpipe. All the rest never actually saw proper release, but they exist, and we have them, and we are excited to talk about them. And if you haven't heard them, it's a it's a really cool crop of songs. I remember when Green Album came out, being like, "Where did these songs come from? They lame." Yeah. More on that in our next episode. <laughs> Let's get a little bit into some riffage now. Uh, mine is kind of more of a concept and less of a riff. I just love how you have a very hard time distinguishing the aforementioned verse into chorus. Because it's there's really no hook in this song. I labeled this one A, A prime B, A, yeah. A prime B, C, which is very short, just that one little instrumental transition, A, A prime B. Wow. There you go. go. Great. There's a structural breakdown, people. That's why we pay Steve the big bucks. <laughs> he gets all of our ad money. That's right. And no advertisers as of yet. Maybe we'll get a call over the course of this episode. You never know. It's true. Rest in peace, Harry's Harry's. So my Radis riff is probably, you know, there was so much to choose from. Really, I, I, I think the base, the base part. Is that a Radis riff? Did we already agree on that? That yeah. is a great riff. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page, gentlemen. Well, I'm not on the page. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I thought we had a quarrel. Turn the page. Out. Yeah, turn the page, Seeger. Uh, <laughs> or was that Metallica do that first? Who covered that? Oh no, Seeger. Metallica that, uh, covered it. Yeah. Seeger covered Metallica, right? Yeah. Was that? Is that how it worked? Definitely. <laughs> if you, that's a reference actually to Stained Glass, wherein Todd Glass, the comedian, swears that David Bowie was covering a Bon Jovi song when he did Heroes. <laughs> Oh He's convinced my. that Heroes is a bot. It's, it's a, you guys have to hear this. I mean, after you finish this episode, listen to that. Uh, mine is actually the final chorus where they tag the word slob over and over again, and the drums are rocking and kind of playing off each other. The guitar is going great, and it ends up in that final chord, which is like a minor nine chord. Just that whole segment of music is just peak Weezer to me. That's why I listen to this band is shit like that.
It's okay. Fuck you. Fuck me? Fuck you. Fuck me? No, I was talking to Steve. Okay, yeah, fuck him. I just make a plan for later. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, the fans do not need to hear about this. They should be hearing about what we think about the lyrics. Sure, I guess. Okay, I got a good one. Waiting for little clues to appear that I drank drink some some of Granddaddy's Granddaddy's beer. (laughs) That's a great lyric. It's hilarious. It's a good one. Steve? Do you have something different? Uh, I do. I, I thought, leave me alone again. Don't hang out in my den. Yeah, <laughs> the the word den is very yes. um, den and granddaddy are both very yes. evocative of a bygone era. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not many people say den. It's no. kind of a. Uh, I had a den in my house growing up. Would you? Do you have a room you called the den? I did not, but I would imagine most granddaddies had a den. It's Definitely. called a, it's called a living room. I but think... I had a living room and a den. I'm sorry, guys. I lived in a mansion. <laughs> Jesus. Growing up, we had a room called the great room. Ooh, how was it? It's okay. <laughs> the, we have the catchphrase of this episode. If we had to name them based on things we'd say, it'd be, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Not bad. I smell another shirt. Jamming? Weasby jamming. Mmm. Tasty. Mmm, <laughs> toasty. Burnt. Yeah. Uh, so this is a song called Burnt Jamb. You know, a lot of extra letters in there. I don't know what's going on with this song. They used to, though, play up the burnt end of this, meaning the high guy end of this much more. In an early version, you can really hear them playing up that aspect of the song. Fucking stoners. A guy who clearly has never been high in his life tried to yeah. imitate it. Someone got his hands on some stuff. Yeah. Give him some of that stuff. That's what I was Someone say. did. Yeah. <laughs> what do we think of this song? Burnt Jam. We'll talk about an outlier. Absolutely. It's the only outlier in terms of feel. But they get back into it in the choruses. Yes, they do. Um, but it, it, That's interesting. Do we call that a chorus? Uh, so we're talking about a part we're about to play, but uh, it's a heavy guitar riff, no lyrics or anything, but is that a chorus? I called it a B section. It's a B section, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say. This is a very, I wouldn't even say it's an interesting structure. It's just a minimal structure. Well, I, I have it right here, Chris. I can, oh, I can yeah. A, A prime, A, A prime, B, A, A prime, B, A coda. Hey, very nice. Hey, Coda. Coda. Hey, Coda. Hey, Coda, come over here, man. My friend Coda's here. What's up, guys? Coda, man, how you been? I've been good. Coda, man, what happened to your voice? This is just my voice. 
Oh, right, sorry, I thought you were the other Coda with the deep voice. Oh, wait, he's here now! Yeah, man. Yeah, there he is! <laughs> Did I just hear you on an old Weezer track? Burnt. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> All right, the song. Christopher. This is one of my favorite Weezer songs ever. Wow. I, I love this song so much. I love the feel of it. I love the transition between that jazzy, clean guitar with those awesome lyrics into that super, super heavy B section, as we'll call it. Um, I fucking love this track. I I also like it a lot. It definitely uh, sticks out, sounds a little bit different, and uh, gets me excited. It's so sweet and playful. My my children, who are seven and nine, they, they definitely sing along with this one in the car, though. It's singable, no doubt. Yes, yeah, okay. What? Just okay from you? Oh, I like it. You know, I like it a lot, but I am far from calling it what you just did, proclaiming it one of the, your favorite Weezer songs. But I, I like it on this record. Contrast is good. It helps the rock songs sound rockier. You know what I mean? It helps this song sound sweeter. I love the vocals. I like the lyrics. Um, just good feel, great chords. There's a lot that I like about this song. I don't mind the Peppers-esque riff that kind of interrupts the song. I think it's nice to have that because it helps the song sit on this record in a more logical way. And I'm really glad they found lyrics because uh, Steve and I were talking about this earlier this week at a gig. The lyrics of the song are really cool, really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You guys want to just dive into that real quick? Yeah. Gothic flavor, how I miss you. Same. If I only that's once it. could kiss you. That's it, right, Steve? That's for me. That's it for me. That's it for me. All right. Bye, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Can I we get hey, out of here? Coda 2. <laughs> I can't take this. Coda 2, can we get you back in here? Steve's leaving. I'll stick around. Thanks, Steve, because Coda 2 don't know shit about Weezer. Yeah, I had the gothic flavor as the laughable, but yeah. I also had another lyric that I thought was actually really great. Is it doot, 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 doot? No. Okay. That was that was uh, honorable mention. I like that one. It's minimal, monosyllabic. Mine is in the second verse. Quote, and the water running over me is growing even colder. Yeah. I love the imagery of Good him. phrasing. Just him being yes. in, in a shower and the hot water <laughs> running out. You had me at, I love the imagery of him being in the shower. <laughs> Fuck. Like I said, coming into fingers. I'm sure he's had I'll, many a solo Cuomo in the shower. <laughs> Most likely. I just really enjoy the imagery because I think we've all been okay. in a place where we, we have so much on our mind and we're in a deep, dark place and then all of a sudden... We're just standing in the shower, and we run out of hot water. The water just keeps getting colder and colder. Have you ever been in the shower so long that the hot water runs out? No, because I respect the earth. Oh, well, we've been over my scrolls and how much I hate the earth, so I've run out of hot water on multiple occasions. Two-hour showers. Two-hour showers? Minimum. <laughs> Two-hour showers? <laughs> Minimum. Minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Anything else to say about this song? Well, definitely. I mean, I have a Radis riff. Yeah. This is... I forgot we haven't talked about <laughs> We haven't talked about Radis riff. I just want to get off this song. I don't even hate it. I don't even know why. But Hey, yeah. man. Fuck you. This song's great. <laughs> you don't even hate it and I'm getting mad. I know. Hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> I've just been meaning to say it in general. <laughs> uh, Radis riff. Can we talk about how this is probably Shriner's most shriner moment That's in the record? That's my Radis riff too, man. Fuck yeah, dude. It's awesome. great. 
so funky. So funky and just so the- fresh. His articulation all over the place, like a lot of little palm mutes and a lot, like Glissando. Oh, yeah. Boom. He, yeah. He and really just, runs the full Just from the beginning. Like that's right, folks. Crazily, we did not get the soloed bass track from the sessions. That was Chris's voice. It's not a big deal, but I'm pretty good at singing bass. You are. So now, Steve, to your ear. Yes. Do you think he's picking that, or do you think he's playing that with his fingers? You know, I don't know. It seems like he could be playing with his fingers, but I'm not. I I feel like he's a he's a mostly pick guy. I agree. Yeah. Every no, t- no, he's, not, not is he even a finger actually, guy? Big finger guy. All right, then, then yes, he's playing with his fingers, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Though when I saw him with VI back in '98, he was using a pick. You got to use a pick for VI. You got to be in the pocket of that new metal kind of backbeat feel. It's just so heavy. You have no choice. You have no choice. Pick. And I think weirdly, he uses a light pick. <laughs> he just hits it hard. My raddest riff is the falsetto female backup vocal styles obviously it's the guys doing it right i think that's a really cool touch that reminds me of a band like yola tango who i've brought up here in the past a band i really like just the way that they they can kind of do a blue-eyed soul thing as modern rock artists i i really uh, dig that because it also links back to weezer of old like falsetto harmonies are something that we've heard from the first album so it's nice it's looking way back to kind of 60 style girl groups looking a little bit back to weezer's own past and Still, all the while, making a brand new sound. In closing, this is a great song. Chris's opinion doesn't matter. Don't say that about yourself. And don't talk in the third person anymore, motherfucker. So perhaps due to ADHD, which I certainly have, or some other factor, this is the point in the album when I would always kind of lose focus and the songs get a little less defined in my memory of them. Obviously not now because I've studied this album for the past several weeks, but uh, just in, as a listener, you know, yeah, I just... I agree with you. Uh, but there are some gems back here, and I think personally for me, this is one of them. This is Space Rock. Oh, Wow. I've gathered that you guys don't feel as strongly about this song as I do, but I dig this song. I dig its sound. I feel like it's an homage to early 90s Flaming Lips, which was definitely a huge influence on Rivers. Uh, Pinkerton, in fact, was really trying to emulate their sound from the crunchy guitars to the big drums, and they even used Flaming Lips producer and engineer Dave Fridman on that record, and of course we'll talk about that. But this really kind of reminds me of a Flaming Lips song from that era called Oh My Pregnant Head, Labia in the Sunlight. But what do you guys think about this song? You, you, you ain't feeling it. It's fine. 
it's just a fine song to me. It's okay. <laughs> it does blend in with all the other songs at the as we uh, get towards the end of the record. You're you're completely right. But I I've definitely turned a corner. At first, I did not like it, but now I I'll just tell you my raddest riff Please. is is the drums throughout the whole song, specifically the quarter note triplet that he does on the bass drum in between the songs. I feel like if you just isolate the drums, Wilson is writing a textbook on how to play interesting drums on a less than two minute pop song. Yeah, a lot of different feels. Lots throughout. of different feels. You said it. This is the shortest song on the record, under two minutes. That's crazy, right? Crazy. A lot happening in there. In what that do you, short got, what do you guys think of the vocals, the falsetto octave, the hoo hoos? Well, so there's the hoo hoos, and let's talk about that real quick. I think that's part of the reason that the fatigue for me started setting in here because I'm like, oh, another doo doo song or ooh ooh song, falsettos. We heard it, of course, on the first track. We just heard it on the previous track. It's like another one of these guys. And in fact, I would always associate this intro with being a different song than the chorus of the song would imply. Like, I never even put those two together in my memory of this song, but. It's one that's like kind of right up my alley, just in its feel, its sound. And I love how the vocals in the verse are unison octaves apart, one of which being falsetto. I mean, that harkens back to Say It Ain't So. Sure. You know, that harkens back to Matt Sharp's contributions to the band, yet with this kind of flaming, lipsy, spacey, psychedelic rock vibe that even the solo reminds me of like revolver era Beatles in its use of the Mixolydian mode, which is effectively just like a major scale with a flatted seventh to get, make it a little bluesy. I, I don't know. There's a lot that I like here. So well, we may not be on the same page in terms of loving the song musically, I think we can agree that the lyrics are relatively entertaining in that this song was written as a response to all the fans' interactions with Rivers on the website uh, and the message boards during the time that they were writing and recording all these songs. And the aforementioned 2002 Guitar World magazine interview, which we continue to reference. Is this an episode about Maladroit or the Guitar World 2002 May edition? Absolutely. I don't know. Uh, maybe we could do a little scene here. How about I read as Rivers Cuomo and you read as Guitar World? Okay, that sounds good. Okay. I never meet fans. You never meet them? Never. I like talking to them over the internet, but that's it. You guys don't do in-store record signings or after-show meet-and-greets? Hell no! Fans are annoying. They all want something. Whether it be asking you to sign something or expecting you to act a certain way... Yeah, or asking me to play a certain song. They're all little bitches, so I avoid them at all costs. And see. Jesus, man. He's an angry man. Yeah, right he's not now. just shredding guitars, he's shredding his fan base. He really is. Uh, so, this is how he felt about his fans at the time, and this song reflects it. Uh, my lyric that I chose for this song stand out, lame, laughable, whatever you want to call it. Quote, they know it all, and they're pinning you to the boards. A clear reference to the message boards. Literally. Yeah. This is really one of the most honest lyrics he's ever written, and for that I appreciate it. Sure. Absolutely. You know, it's truly where he was at. Mine is, you want to cry when you're dealing with the kids. Because yeah. we know what it's about now, and he's talking about the fans as kids, and you know, you want to, but just like, I don't know, it's a funny thought about Steve's an actual father of two, as he mentioned, and uh and I just like the thought in just like a general sense. Like, you want to cry when you're dealing with the kids. He's also a school teacher. Like, he deals with a lot of kids. Well, that that was actually my oh, laughable God. lyric for that exact reason. And I genuinely do want to cry when dealing with all the kids that I deal with on a regular basis. <laughs> did you know the context of this song lyrically? I did not. Yeah. 
It makes more sense now in a way, and it's super direct. Absolutely. And he even sings in the song, you can't have fun when all they do is say lies. I mean, that's that's literally the end of the chorus. Yeah. Like, there it is, you know? It's tough to enjoy this process, which I think he had great hopes for, and certainly they got something out of. If nothing else, we got the song Slob back, on this, back in their orbit and on this record. For sure. But I think he was like, why is this so hard? <laughs> like, why are you guys so mean? Understandably, the internet is mean. The, the internet's generally been kind to us in our podcast, but I realize it putting Shockingly. ourselves out there. Like, we do get emails that are, like, not pleasant sometimes. And I always appreciate the emails. But it is definitely like, oh, right, like, you're putting yourself out there. You're going to hear from people who don't agree with you. Yeah. And people Typ- who think you're doing a bad job. Typically, people are not going to tell you you're doing a good job on the internet. Yeah, it's, it's always rare. the negativity. It's rare. It's what's been very heartening about this show is that most most of our listeners are thoughtful people, as I hope we are. I know we're like jerky assholes like in character sometimes, but like we do think about this music a lot, and, and I know our listeners do as well. So I've had some great conversations about music just in general uh, with, with listeners on the internet, and I, I wish Rivers had a better experience. Maybe he would have felt differently about, about the fans like in general to this day. I don't know. Yeah. So should we talk about Radis Riff and move on? Definitely. Because I don't like this song so much, I kind of wrote guitar solo, I guess. I'm not super impressed with, it's not with, the too, best. with too much going on in the song, so I, I the only thing that really stands out to me is the, the solo. So this would be a bottom-tier song for you? Yeah, definitely bottom half. Cool. No doubt. Uh, mine, I already mentioned, is the falsetto octave vocals in the verse because of its allusion to the past, of Weezer's past in particular, but also the kind of like music that I love, which is like 90s Flaming Lips is music that I love. So when I hear something that kind of reminds me of that, it, it, it makes me happy. Nice. Uh, definitely the drums. I think I uh, erroneously mentioned earlier a quarter note triplet. Eggs actually, erroneously. It's, eggs erroneous. It's a it's an eighth note triplet. I was thinking drum. that, yeah, and I wasn't so, about to correct well, you because no, I... please correct me, please correct me. <laughs> but it's funny. I was like, oh, I didn't notice a quarter note triplet. It's a it's a little old eighth note triplet. His feel is killer on this fucking oh. song and this fucking record. aforementioned gem hidden in the back of the album. Mm. This is one of them. If you're asking me personally. If you're wondering. If I want you to. Tell me the gem from the back half of the album. Slave. 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 He says it how many times in the song? Well, At least two perverse. Yeah. Well, no. Here's the funny thing. In the second verse, he does not punctuate the first line with slave it's actually and it's my laughable lyric for that reason when you're on your own you can see things <laughs> yes <laughs> which is like anti-poetic <laughs> and it ruins the symmetry of 
punctuating every with line slave. with slave in the verse. But on this record, this song feels musically the closest to like the Green Album. You know what I mean? I think this song could have been on Green Album in the way it's sung, the way it's played, the way it sounds, in a way that like Take Control couldn't, you know? Yeah. But this song has a lyrical honesty and openness and directness that is largely absent from that record and that I really appreciate. Like, this is not a song I ever thought about. I, I, I thought it was good, but like I never thought about it until kind of preparing for this episode. And I think it's masterful. I really love this track. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. And I think they do a really, really nice job with it, start to finish. Yeah. Steve, what do, do you, you think? Do you know what the lyrics are about? No. I, I don't either. I've interpreted them in several different ways. And I'll ask you guys this question. I wrote this down. Slave, verb, or noun? Hmm. Damn. Didn't even think about it. I, I always assume noun. So did I. He's, I he's looked a, at it as a verb, and I could see it. I, it this song kind of takes on meaning in many different ways when you look at it on a verb. You know, it, it like I, I could even see it almost like like raising a child. You're like a slave. You're slaving over the child. This love is barely alive in your arms. Oh, man. Yeah, so I, I definitely had fun uh, interpreting what Rivers was going for. Yeah, well one. done. I didn't dig that deep at all. Yeah. That's great. That's really cool. It's a cool device. It's one that we really never hear him utilize, which is just that little refrain at the yeah. end of a line. I, I I really like it. I can't think of many artists who can pull it off, you know, or who have pulled it off, you know? Well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. This is a song that is like actually weirdly beloved by the fan community. In fact, in, in 2016, uh, Weezer was recording a Spotify sessions, like acoustic performance, and they put out, I guess, a poll saying what old song would you like us to play in this one and they do do an acoustic version of it on their spotify sessions which i couldn't find a download of but if you have spotify listen to it it's actually a lovely version and you realize just how beautiful the music is here nice harmonies speaking of i actually took the liberty of writing a little vocal harmony arrangement for the chorus and i was wondering if you guys might want to play it with me no oh come on yeah all right all right, let's count it off. Five, six, seven, eight. Ooh, put on your heart. Ooh, put on your heart. Ooh, put on your heart. Cause I can't change. No, 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 I won't. No way. I won't do it. All right, now let's actually hear the band play the bridge and the solo for good measure. Why not? That's a good solo. It's good. Very melodic. Real good. Yeah. Good tone. I mean, we're just kind of <laughs> echoing what we say on all these songs, but like, that's a particularly good one, I think. I agree. Um, Chrissy, have you said your lyric yet? Uh, yeah. It was the, when you are alone, you can see things. things. Okay. <laughs> good choice. I had clear. Clear as a bell, and you're free. Oh. Do you well, think every time he sings that, Brian turns his head and goes, what? What? Maybe that's what he meant. 
<laughs> clear as a bell. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a bell that was clear? Do you think that Brian Bell is a Scientologist and he went clear? Oh, shoot. Whoa. Whoa. I didn't even think about that. We're, That's we're, all I think about. We're digging real deep into the meaning of the song right <laughs> You're gonna now. You're going to get a letter, man. You're going to get a letter from the lawyers in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's a slave to Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> or to David Miscavige. Yeah, yeah, David Miscavige, watch out. He, he he probably like puts out a feeler for everyone who says his name, and we're we will be getting a letter. Oh yeah, we're on, we're on it. Well, we're I'm already s- on the mailing list. My dad was a Scientologist. I still get old mail. Is that true? It's pretty creepy. Whoa. Where would he go to Scientology? Like where? I Where's church? Or would he go to like the? I don't know. Conventions. He he never really talked too much about it. Wow. About the inner workings, you know. He really became a Scientologist. He did. Yeah. At what point? I don't know. Probably in the mid two thousands. Oh wow! Okay. Oh late. Yeah, that's wow. fascinating. And he was actually he got up to the point where they uh, they they put you in the sauna and oh. cleanse you of all your toxins. Wow! And uh, he couldn't he couldn't kick his cigar habit. So, really? Uh, and that's when he kind of fell off the wagon. No way! Cigars won over Scientology. There you go, man. Well, one thing's real. Cigars. <laughs> clarify, <laughs> clarify, please. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of literature if you're ever interested. <laughs> I always no, am. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exciting. That was great. Um, so, Slave, Hidden Gem for sure. Great song. I do think it's appreciated, but not heard enough. I agree. I think every casual Weezer fan should hear this mm-hmm. if they haven't. I'm not sure I feel the same about this next number. See if we fall together on our opinions of this song. Chris, Steve, what do you think? It's okay. It's okay. I love this song. (laughs) I had a feeling that was going to be. I knew one of you would. I actually thought Chris would like this more. Uh, Steve, what do you love about this song? Well, I love how it's on the heavier side of the spectrum. Sure, for sure. I love how there's there's upbeats in the verse. Yeah, I I love that. It's kind of not a sound we've really heard since. Honestly, Say It Ain't So, the verses, if you think about it, that's the only time you really hear that upbeat reggae thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the clean guitar in Say It Ain't So is, it sounds nothing like this, but just thinking rhythmically, that's a precursor. I can't think of many others, if any. There's some great guitar work throughout the entire song. I, I specifically noted the the guitar squeals before and during the second verse. You just mm. kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guitar and tone is sweet. The tone's oh, awesome. It, it's sweet. This is certainly a guitar record. I know you've we, you've talked about in previous episodes. About no how, doubt. You know, Weezer's not really known as a guitar band, but this is definitely a guitarist's record oh, for sure. Weirdly, I think that's what draws most people to Weezer. Is like, I mean, like Blue Album is laden with guitar solos and a really unique guitar tone. Yeah, you know, and yes. a ton it, of arpeggiated acoustic. Yeah, which is great. It's, yeah, it just, is. A, that's a guitarist record too. I think. Yeah, for sure. Pinkerton is, but more sneakily so. Mm. You know, there's some radical solos on that. 
yeah. played by both Rivers and uh, Mr. Bell. But on this one, it's just kind of like the most obvious, and especially coming off, to put it in context, the Green Album, which is the most boring guitar record of Weezer's career. I think that's actually accurate. Yeah. And Make Believe is just after this, which is, you can tell they're still kind of in guitar mode. The songs are different, but the guitar playing is just as good, if not even more heavily articulated. And and there's just something that's a little bit more grand about the guitar playing on that, the guitar soloing in particular. But here, we just have like all around guitar, nugget, crunch, goodness. Absolutely. Special goodness. My Radis Riff is actually the guitar solo. the same exact thing great solo great tone um my raddest riff is not the guitar solo it is actually pat's drum fill right before the end at about the one minute and 48 second mark yeah mine is the entire end i i love the end of this song it it's amazing how it ends and how it goes right into the next tune so we'll save that until the end of our discussion because i definitely want to hear that what do we have for lyrics boys uh the chorus streamline mainline fall together get up I had, and that's what they'll teach you, baby, to, to dig, dig my sound. sound. I mean, to <laughs> dig my sound. Me too. That, Who's they? Uh, you, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> who, yeah, who are these people? <laughs> that's such a funny line, to dig my sound. Like, who could write that with a straight face, for real? Rivers Cuomo. I guess so. Yeah, that's mine too. Uh, riff is the end. They would actually play this song in 2005 uh, on the tour then, and Shriner would sing lead vocals. Additionally, this is Wilson's favorite track on the record, which kind of surprises me, but I guess if wow. you think of like what he loves musically, it is kind of in that wheelhouse. I just always thought he liked melody. Uh, <laughs> and I should point out, we were talking about uh, vocal ad-libs earlier. On one of the pre-album versions of this from uh, January 5th of 2002, you got to hear the, the beginning of this and hear Bell's contribution to these improvised vocalizations in the intro. My God. Yeah, we've realized that Mr. Bell is the only one we don't have a catchphrase for up till now, so that's our new one. Yeah, I just finally told Chris, I was like, do you know when I call him Mr. Bell, I'm referencing Mr. Bill, the old declamation character. And Chris was like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I did know that. And he has a Mr. Bill on his keychain, which I never knew. Yeah, since I turned 16. (laughs) That's right, it was a rite of passage. They said, son, you're ready. Here's your Mr. Bill keychain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah!
think there's a high probability that we all have the same feelings about this song. Boys, what do you think of possibilities? I like it a lot. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I love it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Chris. All right, I'll be quiet for the next couple minutes. Have fun. Yeah, why don't you start us off, Steve? Well, I, I absolutely love this song. This song reminds me so much of a Misfits song called American Psycho from the punk rock feel, the background vocals, the gang vocals, and then the harmonic motion that happens between the sections is very reminiscent of American Psycho to me. <laughs> Yeah, so as you can see, you know, obviously different, but just the harmonic motion, that really punk rock feel. And I think there's even a couple of little subtle clues Weezer may have laid. I'm probably way overthinking this, but that was just the first thing that sprang to mind when I heard this song. Yeah, both songs are good, but I think the Weezer song is a little heavier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, when Rivers gels his hair and puts it in front of his face, yeah, wears a white makeup. Awesome. The front rat tail. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Great track. Pat Wilson, MVP on this song. Holy crap. Great drumming. Great feel. Uh, it's a pump-up song like no other. I think it, you know. This song would be super fun to play. When you guys play your show, I mean, even if you don't love this song, listen, you have to imagine. Oh, that's, that's, a be great great live. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Love, love, love. The choruses and the vocal work between all the guys. That is by far my raddest riff. Between the woes and the the back and forth and the tracking, whatever, I I think Rivers did a great job in mixing this song and getting all those vocals uh, mixing really really nicely. I also said killer drumming and a great guitar solo. Vocals for sure, a runner up for my Radis riff. I think my Radis riff is uh, specifically the little bass run that he does down the scale in the outro. I I love I gravitate towards this song bass wise. I feel like th- I would do exactly the same things. That Shriner is doing as as a melodic, you know, bass player. I really love what he does, especially at the end. Yeah, definitely. Steve is the bass player, or, or or was. Unfortunately, this band isn't currently playing, but of a band called the Unibrows, which before him I was the bass player for that band. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could totally see them playing a song like this and many of the songs on this record. And uh, it's funny to hear kind of the same vocabulary being used. And I never thought of myself as like like minded to Shriner, but here's an album where I agree. Like. I, I would make that choice. I'm with you, man. I love yeah. playing bass, and especially in kind of a finding melodies around kind of simple chord structures. Like, that's a great sweet spot for me to be playing bass in. And I know it, Steve was great at that. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I'm surprised the Unibrows never covered this song. It seems like this would have been right up our alley. Yeah, totally. For me, the riff would be just the slick modulations leading into the outro, just the way it kind of shifts through that progression. Um, so we'll definitely play that at the end and hear some of that bass stuff. Um, how about lyrics, guys? I have strong feelings about the lyrics of this song. Absolutely. I, Stupid. I think this, truly, this may be the all-time weakest lyric in River's writing career. He's clearly had more offensive lyrics and many lyrics that were sillier, but these are just among the dumbest he's ever written quite literally there are only three words in the entire song that are more than one syllable and yes one is possibilities (laughs) 
So two other words in the song have more than one syllable. These are inessential. This song is inessential. It's a great infusion of energy. And I love how these songs, even though fall together in this, are not my favorite songs. In fact, they're among my least favorite songs. They flow together very nicely. They fall together very nicely. Like this whole sequence is kind of tremendous. Absolutely. I have too many to choose from. Verse one, take you home with me in your arms. Verse two, take me by the hand, let me be the man in your arms. Chorus, take me all the way, let your body stay. Teal album, take on me. Yeah. How many times is he going to say, take my something? My lyric, not so much lame or laughable, but the very last lyric of the song, I'll bleed you now, which was another one of my uh, maybe secret messages to the Misfits. Seemed like something the Misfits would say. Yeah, totally. You know, And my favorite lyric in American Psycho, on a totally other note, is uh, sex puts me in the mood to make you die. But no, I'll bleed you now. And then my other little, not to get too far ahead, but my other little uh, maybe subtle nod to the Misfits is the beginning of the next track, Love Explosion. There's this big kind of feedback whale, which is how the Misfits album, American Psycho, starts with that kind of noisy feedback. So That's tremendous. Probably overthinking it. No, no, no. That's great. You know, what's funny is Rivers has actively said, I don't like punk rock music. But then he writes a song like this that clearly owes a... A great debt to punk rock music. So, you know. I mean, Rivers Cuomo is known. He's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) He's known for morphing. You know, he says, I want. He's like a Power Ranger. Mighty Morphin. He likes a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to kind of get to the top of the charts. You know, we've talked about it on multiple different occasions, different albums. He's really in the zone. He's in it to win it. And whether he is in love with the music or not, he's kind of trying to broaden his horizon. So if he thought this was the song that's going to get the fans excited about some punk rock, then he'll do it. God, he couldn't have thought that. That, oh, there it is. Oh, my goodness. I, it's really there. I know. <laughs> that is not That is not just a sound effect. We really have an alert that goes off. Labored euphemism, ladies and gentlemen. The title of the song. 
love explosion. Inappropriate. Yeah. Absolutely inappropriate. If you think that's bad, this song <laughs> previously had some alternate lyrics. And on a version here from January 8th of 2002, we can hear where this song came from. Little girly, I'm happy. Because you came out and saw the things that I see. Now we'll get on to pleasure each other. Oh my god. Holy goodness. Christ. <laughs> what? To pleasure each other. <laughs> That's literally like something I would make up on the spot as like an improv. Yeah. Like an unsuccessful one. Yeah. <laughs> They're all unsuccessful, I'll tell you that. Um Jesus though. Like yeah. that, that's literally something that I do. Like I'm just like singing what I do during the day and like right. making up little songs and that's So you're pleasuring <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. No, but that's literally something I would do. To pleasure each, each other. other. And I love how he starts out with girly. Yeah. He's, funny enough, we've talked about how many different renditions of uh the, what the titles of uh Do You Wanna Get High were. Yeah. Oh, like, oh girly girlfriend. I don't think we've ever heard him say girly. Girly, it's true. Never. Yeah, always finally the word. editor, his, his internal editor said, you know, <laughs> the girl's bad enough. He clearly thinks about it a lot. Yeah. And finally puts it into a song and still didn't even make the cut. Yeah, he just couldn't get out of like the bone zone with this song. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> but, uh, but speaking of the song, what do we think? Uh, bottom tier for the record. Oh, yeah. Mm, again, I love this one. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I do not. It's a two and a half star song for me. I don't think it's bad. I just Again, don't think it yeah, I, do, I, don't, I don't hate listening to it, but it's... Also, sucks. we're 12 songs in at this point, which means like we're like 27 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and it's true. There is an amount of fatigue that's just settling in, you know? Yeah. Like, when you have so many songs that sound so, so similar, same tone, same drumming, you know, you can put as many little fills in there as you want. I feel like there are so few people uh, that are going to pick up on the nuances in the instrumentation that we're picking up on. So for just a general listener, I think you're absolutely right, Chris, that people are feeling some fatigue at this point. So you're saying for like people dumber than we are? I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. I know. Edit that part out for sure. Yep. Move it right up front. <laughs> John, so what are your feelings? Oh, sorry, Steve. Um, you know, I definitely not. One of my favorite songs kind of blends in, gets that little fatigue like you just mentioned. I, you know, I, I did, the, there is one part that I always go to is the, the get up, get up, and down. Yeah. I just constantly hear like, in, and I haven't really heard the song in years, so I could not even know what I'm talking about, but do the locomotion with me. So wow. come on, come on and do the locomotion. Wow. Come on, just on like skip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I haven't heard the song, so I'm probably way off base. <laughs> Wasn't Car- didn't Carol King write that? Is that a Goffin King song? Oh, Is that possible? That could be. That sounds correct. Well, fact check us people and hit us up. Um, yeah, that is cool, and I like. I always like phrasing like that, and you know, from playing my songs for all these years, like I like those kind of one two three one two three one two but don't don't yes. you know, just kind of falling accents on different beats and insinuating other time signatures over a standard four four or three four. It's just kind of kind of my jam. I mean, I don't love the song. I'm not about to defend it. I think it's if if there was a song to go from the record, I mean, there's songs I like less than this on the record, but like. There's no reason this had to be 13 songs. It could have been 12, and we could have gone right into December, and we all would have been happy, probably, you know. So, nothing wrong there. How about uh, riffs? I put the guitar solo. It's a great solo. Yes, solo. Solo. 
I'd say that's the one redeeming part of the song. You know what's interesting? So this song is called Love Explosion. We obviously had some laughs at it ex- at its expense just earlier. If you look up the lyrics online to this, I, I went to Genius.com. Occasionally you can learn something from there. Sometimes it's just random people. Occasionally. Not always. Well, you know, sometimes it's just people like, I think that this is like he's talking about his heart. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though, you can read some very vapid uh, analyses. Analyses and yeah. tidbits there. But like, so the song's called Love Explosion. Literally, the lyrics as written on Genius.com, like, those words are in parentheses. Like, I can't think of many songs where, like, the song title is literally a background vocal, not a lead vocal. Like, really, I'm racking my brain. I mean, I didn't think that hard about it, but, like, right now, I can't think of another song where, like, the lead singer never sings the song title. I was going to say, I think having the backup vocals sing the song title is less, it occurs less frequently than not having the title in the song at all. I would think so. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Nice point there, CK. Thanks, bro. How about lyric here? I I should also say, in the uh, January version, the second verse mentions the words, Perpetrator of good vibes, <laughs> which is some quality shit right there. But I, I for, don't hate that. As for no, it's really funny. It's a step up. Actually, I'm in a I'm in a cover band, and we have a really kind of questionable band name, uh, which is now we've just shortened to Dig It, which I actually kind of like, you know, because it, it's kind of a Beatles reference. But I guess one of the proposed band names was Good Vibe Tribe before I was in the band. I was like, oh, oh dude, I would have voted for that. That's amazing. <laughs> good Vibe Tribe. Me and Andy were just like, dude, why, why are we not called Good Vibe Tribe? Go to go see, see the, the GVT. Yeah, 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 GVT. Getting up that GVT. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but my lyric in the actual song is, get out your house, girl, and give me a kiss. Nailed it. Same. Because I've said that. Like, you know, you love when people write your experiences. And if I had a dollar for every time I've said that, I'd have three. <laughs> three what? Dollars. Okay. And kisses. No, two. One time it didn't work. I figured that had a 100% success rate. You would think. I'm quite the charmer. Yeah. Did you have something different than us, Steve? Uh, they've been wanting to kill you in your sleep. Just yeah, made me I laugh. had that as a runner-up. Definitely. It always grabs my ears. It's so weirdly extreme, you know? It's like, dang. My last thought on this song would be like, it may be just the victim of placement. Like, if this was track three, maybe we'd feel more strongly about it either way. Maybe we wouldn't be tired of it. I think if it came up on shuffle, you wouldn't skip it. No. Like, I wouldn't, you know? Absolutely. I don't love it, but I I think it's still a quality song, especially if... Like, if it was on Hurley, it'd be, like, our favorite song. Exactly. Do you know it's, what I it's mean? It's different enough from the rest of the catalog. Yeah. Which, this whole record is the same way, which is kind of funny. You think about these 13 songs, they're so, so, so similar all together, and then you look at the whole scheme of their entire discography, and these 13 songs are quite different from everything else. Yeah, by and large, yeah. I was and doing my Donald Trump hands there. He's <laughs> flapping around. These songs are kind of genius, yeah, very too. small hands, too. <laughs> hey! <laughs> These songs are kind of genius, and the fact that they're all so short, even if you don't like one, it it's over before you can really feel terribly about it. That's a yeah. great point. And then you kind of miss it. Yeah. Right? And I always thought that... Good point, SJ. <laughs> <laughs> you got it! Na- naming, a, uh, naming a record maladroit, which means clumsy, kind of gives you you know carte blanche to uh, make the record shitty and know it. <laughs> yeah. And you have your hey, full Hey, we excuse. meant to do that! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be bungling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard word to say. It is. Chris's favorite band is Mr. Bungling. 
Is that a real band? Mr. Bungle. Mr. Bungle, oh yeah. I Steve and I actually saw Mr. Bungle. Listen to this, Bill. Oh. This was at Lupo's. We also Steve was at the show in 2000 when we saw Weezer at, at this club as well. Uh, but Snowcore, 1999. 98. Whoa! I think it was 98. Jeez. That's crazy. So, it was Mr. Bungle. Oh, what was the first band? Puya. 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 Spanish, uh, Spanish, I think they were... Portuguese maybe, but yeah. they definitely infuse Spanish lyrics into like this kind of new metal. I love that. Yeah. One of my favorite bands is Ska Pay, which is Escape in Spanish, but they spell it S K A dash P. Ooh. Pretty great. Ska Pay. They're, they're a uh, Mexican. And Ska's in the name. It's right up your Brilliant. alley. Yeah, no, they're a Mexican Ska band. They're awesome. We get it, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shirt. Yeah, we get it, man. You like Ska. Um, and then also on that bill, second to last, was. System of a Down. Oh. And headlining was? Incubus. Dang. What a lineup, except I don't know the first half. Yeah. Well, Mr. Bungle is uh, Mike Patton from Faith No More, his band after Faith No More. Is that true, Stephen? I do believe so. Yeah. Really fun band. How? My, my favorite moment from that set, I don't know if you remember. Well, first of all, they had like many members. There was at least six guys in the band. Oh, yeah. One of which was a percussionist dressed as a chef. A chef, yeah. Like an Italian and, chef. And I remember they, Mike Patton, you know, he said, alright, who wants to hear like a rock and metal song in the audience? Yeah! Who wants to hear an Italian love ballad? Boo! Alright, let's play the ballad! And they did. <laughs> <laughs> and we were dying. We were like side stage and just great. like loving it. That's and great. just like getting our asses kicked. Yeah, man, <laughs> that was a tough show to just like focus on the music. I have to say, how yes. was uh, how was System? Amazing, amazing. And yeah. that was I think that was slightly before Toxicity. Oh yeah, really blew oh it was up. like two years. Toxicity before. was out. No, I thought it was out. No, I, toxicity the first came, record. Yeah, Toxicity didn't come out. Oh until one, I think yeah. So I it think. was just the first record. Yes. Wow. Which we well, know they had. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Steal this album is yep. later. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. One, yeah. so what, so they probably closed with, closed with Sugar, huh? Probably. Yeah, that yeah. was in there. Damn. We'll yeah. have to check. Oh, my, my God. I wish I could. Ugh. Oh, and I loved that first record. Like, that was like an infusion of like, oh, oh cool. I still like heavy music because I love this. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is in that Guitar World interview, I sorry, I thought, I thought we were done with it, but Rivers was like, I know I would definitely like System of a Down because their songs are just so fast and tight and unpredictable. I, I, I forget exactly the words he used, but he was like, I know for a fact I would love that if I was a teenager today, which is kind of cool. That uh, uh, full yeah. circle. How about that? Very organically. But yeah, that was a cool show. I'm always glad. That's still the only time I've ever seen either of those bands. Likewise. But I've seen Mr. Bungle like six times since. guys think of december the month or the song i like both it's good i do like this song good um yeah. it's hard to say whether it would fall in the top half or 
or uh, bottom half. This is kind of like right in the middle of the in the record for me. Gotcha. Um, I still really enjoy it. It's definitely a three solid three three and a half star song for me. Um, I think I might be a little biased as to why I like it so much because um, Steve, you had that awesome reference to Misfits in the last song, and I personally have a great reference to the Who song "Love Rain Over Me" from the nice album Quadrophenia. Rain Ower. Or O apostrophe R E, I yes, believe. Um, which is one of my favorite rock records ever. Quadrophenia. Quadrophenia, yeah. yeah. It's recorded on four separate vinyls. That's how long it is. Mm-hmm. That's um, where the quad came from. Precisely. Yeah, funny enough, I have this on vinyl, both the album version and the movie soundtrack version. Ah. Both are good. Anyway, Love Rain Over Me is absolutely hands down, probably top 10 songs. F- of all time for me. And so as soon as I hear him sing, as soon as I hear Rivers uh, sing this intro, only love can ease the pain. He's singing it in the same timbre, same rhythm, same melody as when Daltrey sings only love can make it rain. It sounds exactly the same in my opinion. Um, That and dollar bills. That and dollar bills. Yeah. Um, I was always confused when people say make it rain. Like, are they... Real question. I've had it clarified since, but this was my real question. The oh, make it rain, like in a club, like in the strip club. Is it the clothing coming off and raining on the crowd, or is it the bills in the air raining? It's one hundred percent the bills. Yeah, it's the bills. But but like I, I was really like, what's raining exactly? Wow, you, know? you really thought that? Yeah, I thought it was possible because clothes are being strewn about. There's really only two articles of clothing that come off a stripper. Uh, pasties, bro. <laughs> Oh, Four. Yeah. <laughs> I it, guess it's a drizzle, sure. <laughs> I but a rain it. nonetheless. Only love can make it rain like the sweat of lovers laying in the fields. But all that being said, I think that this is a, a really, really nice song, and uh, I enjoy the Who version, and I enjoy this version. So. Version, like version. The cover, but I know what you mean. But I, to me, it sounds like a direct reference. Yeah, whether no, he definitely. whether he meant to or not. No, for sure. Six eight feel. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know that one two three one two three, and uh, you know, of course, and that's a feel that we like when Weezer does it too. Suzanne, L.A. Girls, like some really nice songs do that, um, and it's definitely a bit of a throwback. In fact earlier versions of this song were clean, you know, and, and, and I think some fans actually prefer that. There's a BBC version, which I actually couldn't get my hands on. If anyone has that file and somehow it found itself to like a Google Drive that I could access, you know, maybe hit us up at wheeztalkingwheeze at gmail.com. But regardless, um, about the song itself, I dig this song. I think it's a very apt closer for this record. I think it's a great closer. Yeah, I think I don't think it would have worked any other place in the record. Maybe in that death and destruction slot, but death and destruction is not a good closer. No. You know what I mean? Like I think that's a perfect break it up kind of song. And I will say like even though this the sequencing may be a little fucked on this record, that last third really keeps moving. The first two thirds are really broken up nicely with burnt jam and death and destruction. They actually do a pretty good job balancing some very similar material. You know, all told it could have been a lot worse, I guess mm. is my point. So yeah, this is a song I really enjoy. It's a song that I kind of remember hearing actually demo versions of this 
through some file sharing back in the day and being very excited that it was finally recorded. And, and, and I do think it's sweet. Um, maybe we get into our riffs and lyrics. Uh, for me, my riff would have to be the bridge. the solo there is okay. It's kind of classic Weezer back and forth, call and answer kind of soloing. But boy, the singing and the drumming on the bridge is peak Weezer to me. Peak. All over everyone. <laughs> Snowy peaks. No valleys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my raddest riff is just, again, Pat coming in as MVP. Oh. His entire uh, playing on this song is great. Bridge sure. and otherwise. Motherfucker can swing some 6-8. Swang. Dang. <laughs> hey. um, as, yeah. our, as our good friend Creed once said, swing low, <laughs> sweet chariots. Oh, 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 I thought I was like the band, and then I thought the movie, and then I was like, oh, no, you mean Creed Bratton from yes. The Office, All Natural, but B. <laughs> swing low, sweet chariots. Exactly. Um, how about uh, you, musically, Stephen? Yeah, I, I like this song musically. Uh, my rad riff was probably the solo. I do like that uh, yeah. that twin guitar attack. That always tickles me. Nice. It's never a bad touch. No. It's never going to be a bad uh, bad solo in my book. Yeah. Lyrics, uh, just because out of context, I think this is a very silly line. Like, only trust can inspire soggy lungs to breathe fire. Like, the thought of describing... Lungs is soggy. Obviously, he's talking about being in the rain and right, stuff. Right, right. But like, absent that, it's like, what did he have? Pneumonia? What the fuck's going exactly. on? Exactly. He's drowning. He's drowning. Literally, yeah. He's uh, he's got like uh, aspirational pneumonia. Oh, poor guy. Sad. Well, his name is Rivers, so you know maybe he does have some extra water in there. That's hilarious. Okay, I had the same lyric. Has yeah. to die. we're finally on the same page now finally and uh let's go out on that we're gonna hear the the end of this song and then talk about the critical reception and finally get to our black album and heart song selections can't wait All right, December. That's a that's a nice way to close the record for me. I, I really I really do like that song. Same Z's. So let's see what the critics thought. According to Metacritic.com, our friends, this record received a seventy-two score. Really good. With fifteen positive, five mixed, and only one negative review. And that seventy-two is just one point lower than the Green album received. Which uh, we'll talk about whether that's fair or not after we cover Green. But uh, you know, just worth noting. Like it was a pretty consistent period for the band. Absolutely. Yeah. And those critical reviews are pretty on point compared to their previous two records, their first two records. Their <laughs> I told you I'm tired and I'm having a hard time speaking. Yeah. I mean, Pinkerton's Metacritic is ridiculous. Spoiler alert. Oh, boy. I won't say the numeric value, but guys, when we get to Pinkerton, we talk about the Metacritic reviews. Whew. Spoiler alert. Pretty good. 
pretty good. So in a favorable review from E! Online, uh, the music is described as perfect pop for short attention spans. But I only read the highlighted abstract because I have a short attention span. Perfect. Uh, while a mixed review from the now-defunct Village Voice said that, quote, Maladroit picks up where the Green Album slacked off, <laughs> relying on the same chunky sonics that set Hashpipe apart from Weezer's earlier, more lithe singles. And guys, I don't know about you, but I love lithe singles. Better I especially the, love the sinewy ones. Better than dead singles. <laughs> no doubt about that. No, lithe. Oh, live, live! Oh, I thought you said live. No, lo- no, I loathe the live. Oh, you live, I you loathe, loathe the, live. the live. Love the live. Let's try that again. Okay. I loathe the live. I love the live. You guys wow. got that? Wow. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, no. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a terrible and terribly written review for something called Dusted Magazine, critic Emerson Dameron, no relation to Poe, said, the kids will tolerate Maladroit and probably many more dull records just like it because it's a product of Weezer. Little did he know. (laughs) That tide was about to turn. Uh, any, Any critical reviews that you got? Oh yeah, I got three pretty awesome ones. This one is actually a review done in hindsight. So this is an article that was released by Magnet in 2009. And they had an article on the five most overrated and underrated Weezer songs. And they chose, quote, all of Maladroit as the number one most underrated half. Wow. Which is pretty awesome. Where they comment, quote, Maladroit, the band's fourth album, is actually really good. Not exactly deep, but it has some really stellar pop songs. Sure, Maladroit never became a cultural touchstone the way the band's first two albums did, but it deserves some more credit than it ever got. Well, fair enough. Which is pretty awesome. Also, Rolling Stone readers voted it the eighth best album of 2002, and Spin Magazine ended up calling it the sixth best album of 2002. How about that? So, pretty impressive critical reception. Definitely. Particularly for this band. Let's talk about our own overall thoughts to this record, where it stands among Weezer's other records, and whether we think it's successful. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Well, I wish that I had heard this record when it came out, because I kind of put Weezer on the shelf uh, in exchange for probably, you know, death metal and uh, prog rock back in 2002 when this came out. Yeah. So, But I wish that I had heard it, because... I think it's a really great record. Uh, I think it would have made me more excited about Weezer, and maybe I wouldn't have fallen off the Weezer. Uh, cliff. Yeah, you wouldn't have fallen off to at least make believe the next. <laughs> yeah, right, two right. Years when later. it lost most people, quite easily. But no, definitely thumbs up. And you know, I've had this record at my house for since I've lived there. It was my, actually my wife's CD. And uh, once you guys started doing the podcast, and I said, "Oh, let me, I, I have that Maladroit. Let me listen to it." And, uh, nice. And, there, and here we are right now. Hey, would you listen to it? Read the lyric sheet. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. actually have one of the CDs with the the stamped the number? stamped number. On you the have back. one yeah, of those? I do. Nice. Yeah, yeah. For the fans who don't know, or the fans of Weezer who don't know, uh, this the first <laughs> not of the fun. not of the podcast of Weezer. <laughs> because if you're listening to the show, you might not be a fan of ours, but you're definitely a fan of Weezer. Sure. So, the first six hundred thousand copies of this record have uh, gold emblazoned numbers printed on the cover. Do yours, Chris? Because you got it the day it came out. I'm you must. sure it does, but it's literally in my mom's basement in Coventry, Rhode Island. So. It probably does. You gotta go seen find it in that. a while. You should yeah. go find out. That's how, that's a, that's really cool that you guys both have that. Um, I yeah. do not, <laughs> but uh, for me, this record definitely, definitely in the top half of Weezer's discography. Cool. It's really, really great. Hits the nail on the head for me. Really awesome, crunchy guitar nugs, incredible drumming, great bass playing, 
great backing vocals, great lead vocals. I don't care if it's messy. I don't care about any of it. It's it's just really, really, really good stuff. And I think it is incredibly underrated. Yeah, this one historically for me was one I was always like, oh, well, I like Blue Pinkerton and Maladroit. For no other reason than it, I, I liked it better than Green, and then I stopped liking them. So I was like, yeah, well, there you go, I yeah. like Maladroit. So you got three out of four. And you guys don't know about Maladroit. This is a great record. You guys should listen to Maladroit. It's like what I told you. Exactly. Um, now, in the context of this podcast and really getting so deeply into their later material, this has definitely slid down some tiers. That's fair. I would put it in a similar class as Everything Will Be Alright in the End, in that a really good album that's flawed enough to not be great but is way better than the bottom, bottom yeah. tier. It, it does not belong in that bottom tier. Not at all. It's, but it's right steadfastly in the middle, where before I probably would have said it was my third favorite record. And at this point, it's probably like my fifth or sixth favorite Weezer record. So it just shows how tastes evolve and how just the deeper you get into some of the music that maybe you dismiss at the time, your opinion of a record will evolve a little bit. Even though like yeah, I like it just the same. It's just there's other good stuff. For sure. But lyrically thin, which is almost unforgivable because we've talked so much about how when Rivers is on, when Rivers wants to be great, he can be a great lyricist. Oh my God, so good. But so. he can be a frustrating lyricist because here he's not offensive. There's, I mean, outside of the obvious line in Dope Knows that offends me deeply, like he's not, it's not offensively bad, but it's also not entertainingly bad. It's just kind of bad. Yep. And I'd almost rather be entertainingly bad, like ratitude bad, <laughs> because at least it's kind of funny. Kind of funny, yeah, I get that. You know, so that would be my biggest knock against it. But killer rhythm section work, I love Wilson. Outside of Pinkerton, this is my favorite Wilson record. White is right up there, too, because of just this drumming on, like, Thank God for Girls and stuff like that. But, like, just from song to song to song, the grooves are there, the fills are there, the dynamics are out of this world, just the shifts in rhythm are, uh, you know, all the wrinkles that we talk about from Wilson! You done it again! Yeah, uh, you know they're all there, and and Shriner was such a great addition to the band, and I think I think that Rivers probably was partly like, hey, let's ride this style that we can do with this guy. I mean, this guy just played with ice. You know what I mean? So while Rivers might have taken complete control of the band and turned it completely in the way that he wanted it to be, I can without a doubt say that Patrick Wilson is the MVP of this record. MVP. 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 Oh, MVP. Sorry. Thank you. You just had to repeat it. My headphones were off. Okay. Shall we get into our Black Album selections? Oh, I'm excited. There's no way we have the same one here. I highly doubt it. Steve, as the guest, why don't you go first, my friend? Your Black Album selection and the reasoning behind it. Uh, You know, this was extremely difficult for me, and... I think you guys are not going to be pleased with my choice. But, you know, I re- it really came down to... Can we guess it? You can guess it, sure. The one for you that you really didn't like? Mm. Well, it's not that I didn't... Well, no, it's, it's not, not that even... I didn't like it. So here's a question. Is there a song on this record for either of you guys that you actively dislike? No. Um, no. No, cool. no, no. Because okay. yes, but like relative to really bad Weezer, No. Compared, like there's no we are all on y- drugs. Your, your we are all on drugs or everybody get dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not that bad. But knocking on the door. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. So I I think it it has to be it has to be December for me. Wow. And I, I, I would not have guessed that. You wouldn't. Have, well, and here's the reason. Here's the reason because I think the record needs it, and I think the placement of it is awesome, and I do like the song. I think it's a fine song. But for me, when it comes down to okay, I'm going to listen to Maladroit. What song would I be okay with not hearing? Mm. And I think it came down to December. Wow. 
That's that's kind of incredible. Uh because it's a song of such quality. It is. And it, and and I know you're yeah. yeah. I know you it, it you was respect very tough, songs. But you know? I, I definitely there was little bits and pieces that I felt like, oh, I, I really want to hear that little part, even in the songs that I'm sure both of you are gonna choose. Right. Because I think my runners up are probably close to on well, maybe maybe not with yours. <laughs> this is something that Steve and I are notorious for, which is we like uh some of the same bands and love some of the same albums, but we almost always like the opposite songs. It's yes. just notoriously and that's part of the reason I think we like playing together. Is sure. that like we're coming from the same place, but we kind of bring our own thing to that. And I have a podcast concept that I want to do with Steve uh, uh, once we kind of get rolling with more podcasts and, and expand our network that is going to kind of uh, bring to light and highlight that, that kind of division that we have. Sure. That I'm excited to share with you all pretty soon. Um, Chris. For me. Black album. This was tough. He's got the scrolls, people. All right. I had narrowed it down to two before we recorded this. And after talking amongst it with you fine gentlemen, my decision is going to have to be fall together. Same. <gasps> same. <laughs> We've never had the same black, right? Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We are all on drugs. We are all on drugs yeah. on make believe. <laughs> but but uh, that's the only other one. I think so. Wow, nice. Wow. What wow. was did you have any honorable mentions <laughs> for black album? Uh that was close. Possibilities was a possibility. Mm. Love uh, Explosion was my honorable yeah, mention. Yeah, Love Explosion. Those kind were of in that too. mix. Love, you ex- know? Love Explosion and Fall Together were definitely, but but Love Explosion edged it out because oh, I, Burnt Jam. No, <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that, I think the only thing that really edged it out. Uh, why Fall Together I don't like as much is because I do not like the guitar solo as much, and I think that um, Love Explosion just kind of. It flows as a song just a touch better. Yeah, Fall Together is just that borderline jock jam thing that that just I'm not so drawn to, particularly in the verses. Uh, the choruses are like great Weezer. Like, no problem there. I like the solo. Like, I love the outro. It just feels like a lot of other bands could do that. You know, it's not that Weezer doesn't have its peers and doesn't have its influences, but there's a sound that they make that only they can make. No other band could write El Scorcho. When you hear a band cover El Scorcho, it sounds terrible or at the very least it does not sound like Weezer playing it there's a sound that this band can make that they established right at the top of their career and that sound from Fall Together is not the sound that this band makes so well but it's a sound that other bands make that I like far less so that's why I'm less drawn to it but enough about shit we hate let's talk about shit that goes right to a hearts all right Steven why don't we have you start we'll do three Two and one, but we'll hear your three and go around in a circle. All right, number three. Uh, you know, I think I think I'm giving a little bit of a little bit of love back to December that I that I just shat upon and so to speak. But uh, death and destruction. Wow, is, nice is my number three. I that surprises say. me. Cool. Yeah, yep. I'm really happy to hear that. Me too. All right, for me, just gonna say I had to narrow this down from seven. I had seven songs in the running for these. That's great. I had six. Okay, number three, slob. Nice. Yeah. It's nice. awesome. It's I, raw. It's good. It's I'm just... actually surprised it's that low. I would have thought it was higher for you, so mm. I'm excited to see what's next. My number three, and this one totally snuck into my top three. I will, will of course, say our honorable mentions um, after, and I thought this would be like in that mix, but it this song is so undeniably well-crafted, 
so undeniably honest and so undeniably well performed that it just had to be it's just it's probably the best song on this record it's not my favorite but it's probably the best song on this record a little song called slave nice i just think it's the best song on the record weirdly enough it feels like the most timeless weezer song on the album and it's it's and surprises me and you don't feel that way because of our awesome little cover rendition uh no okay no i feel less so it almost slipped out (laughs) after that shit no, Dude. I'm just joking. Steve. I worked really hard. <laughs> Steven, you're number two. Take control. Nice. nice. Yeah. Awesome. Heavy, gritty, love the guitar tone, solo, just love that bass at the end. Just, it's a jam. Heck yeah. It's, it is a hell of a jam. Sweet. My number two. Good old-fashioned Chrissy Switcheroo, Slave. Nice. I had a hunch. Oh, yeah. Nice. And it's, it. of course it's Switcheroo because my number two is Slob. Oh, <laughs> every time. That's right. Hey, Weezer, you want us to love your songs more? Start them with SL, huh? <laughs> so, uh, moving on. Yeah, no, I, I love Slob. I, it's hard to not even, it's hard not to put it number one, but there's just a song that's always been my favorite song from this record from the first time I heard it, and it remains so today. That's the only reason that Slob didn't make it, but I enjoyed re-listening to that more than anything. Very cool. Well, you just said it yourself. It's uh, hard not to put it at number one. Not for me, Slob, number one. Yeah. I'm glad someone's representing Slob at number one. Fantastic. So now I think we all know what Chris's number one probably is, but Chris, why don't you tell the fine people at home? It is overcooked marmalade. Okay, now tell the fine people on the road. Burned jam. Now tell the fine people on the subway. Burnt jam. Burnt jam, number one. Had to be. Had to be. I love that song. I know it. I'm sorry. I, I Oh, you don't. <laughs> it's funny how, like, personally we get about this. Oh, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I mean, there's a reason it's called Burnt Jam. That song is just kind of like a jam that somehow is a song. Yeah. As we heard in that early incarnation, like, there were no lyrics. It was really just like, I got these cool chords. And I think we all know, have been in bands or had no musicians who, like, they don't necessarily write a song, but they go, like, here's a cool thing I came up with. Can we make this? Can something? we make it as something? Yes. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. Sure. Uh, I I have good friends who kind of work like that, and like it's not. There's nothing wrong with that. But Weezer is such a great band at crafting songs that that one doesn't show any of that. Really? It's, yeah. Man. It's not a well crafted song. I mean, it's a cool chord progression. It's a cool, and a chord cool riff, and I love that riff. Yeah. I but like as a song, like structurally, like that and Slave are like opposite ends of the spectrum. True. You know? like, so it's just what you're looking for in a song. And like I'm the guy who likes jam bands. I can't say that. I like Fish and the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and I like the slip. You guys should listen to the slip. Oh, yeah. But like uh, for some reason, it's just not something I want to hear Weezer do. But it's still a wicked good chord progression, wicked good melody, and super charming. So I'm not surprised it's your number one. Mm-hmm. And I All wish right. they would have jammed it at the show. I think... Okay. Do you guys want a three, two, one it and guess it? Because we never actually have a third person. A third to person. Guess. Do oh, you have an man. idea, Steve? You know, I I have two ideas. Okay. Well, but, why don't we? Uh, why don't you say what you think they are? Well, I think we should three, two, one it for your number one, Chrissy. Jeez, yeah. this, is yeah, this is tough. Uh. Okay, I think I got it. All right. All right whenever you're ready. You ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one. one. Death and destruction. Okay. Chris. Zimmy got it. Yeah! Oh, I, should, I, should, I should have said the other D one. <laughs> yeah, is it between those two? 
Because yeah. I would say, for me, it was between Death and Destruction and Take Control. Oh, Those were my wow. two. I know I, you so good. You wow. I know yeah. you so well. I, it, it actually pains me to leave Take Control off the list. I'm happy leaving December off. I'm happy that I can still love it. It just doesn't need to be one of my top three songs from the album for the purposes of this podcast. But Take Control was always my second favorite song from this record. It's surprising that it slipped out of the top three. But again, I just wanted to represent for a, a just really good songwriting. For it, so Slave kind of replaced Take Control. My other honorable mentions are, are December and Space Rock. <laughs> okay, yeah, I had, spa- I had Space Rock as tied for th- last. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, just to reiterate, three Slob, two Slave, one Burnt Jam, four honorable mentions, Death and Destruction, Take Control, Dope Nose, and Possibilities. Right on. I yeah. like Possibilities quite a bit. Well, I, I have a deep, you know, honorable mention for me would actually be Fall Together. Yeah, I, I I thought it would sneak into your top three. It almost did. It it was it was on the cusp. Yeah, but uh, it felt like it could have been in that take control slot. Weirdly, like they're similar yes. songs to me. It's funny that Very I like take similar. control so much more, but uh, you know, it's just sometimes songs. That speak is a to good you. point. Yeah, they're very similar, and I don't particularly care for Fall Together at all. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. Um, well, this was a really fun discussion, Steven. Yeah, thanks for having me, and fellas. Christopher. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah, it was our really, pleasure. really nice. I uh, really appreciate your uh, your loving on the bass, which oh, was awesome. You. Yes, and uh, structures. And yeah, the structures. That was really a nice, uh, nice addition. So, a very well informed gentleman joining us. We're yeah. super happy to have you. And yes. I would say check out Steve on uh, on social media and stuff, but he's really not on that, nope. which I respect deeply. As you know, I don't really have personal accounts on these things. Yeah, but we do because we have a podcast. But you know, send us some love. Uh, you know, through through Twitter, we'll send it to him because I think he, he's a wonderful guest, and uh, we'll find other reasons to talk to him down the line for sure. If Absolutely. you're looking uh, for how to play, you know, hot cross buns on the recorder, I have a mean YouTube channel with a lot of recorder tutorials for my students. Is that true? True? It's very true. Oh my God. You what's, want to say where they what's can What's your find YouTube that? channel? Uh, I, I think it's just Steve Johnson. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Easy peasy. There you go. Check it That's out. That's not a generic name at all <laughs> no. that people will. Good luck. I think you got to you gotta include recorder in the song. Oh, okay. okay. There you go. Yes. And of course, uh, we've been putting up some YouTube videos ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely check out our YouTube channel at Wheeze Talking Wheeze. You can check us out on Instagram. Wheeze Talking Wheeze. You can check us out on Twitter. Same handle. That's right. And you can send us an email. Wheeze talking wheeze at gmail.com. Yeah, reach reach out to us. I'm curious how other people feel about this record. I I um am curious how other people feel about this record. Okay, well said. <laughs> so good he had to say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> um so I guess at this point I'll say this is Chris. Me too. And this is Steve. And, and Wheeze just talked wheeze to thee. Modern. Bye.